Welcome to episode 17 of the Loaded Cart Podcast. Join Paul, Daniel, and their occasional guests as they talk about the things they love and hate about video games and the gaming industry. In this week's episode, we're joined by Phil to talk about all things Super Nintendo. Endurance Mode Engaged. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome once again to the Loaded Cart Podcast, Nostalgia Edition, SNES. I am Paul of What's Paul Playing Today, and with me as always is Dan, otherwise known as Chop the Viking. What's up, buddy? Hey, how's it going, Paul? Yeah, still breathing. Yay! We've got a special <laughs> guest with us. What's up, Phil? I'm back. Yes. Yeah, Phil is, Phil is back. Two-time guest. One is back. By popular request from Phil. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. I'll do that again. I mean, and I'll you just throw asked me at one point. Hat. And, I, and I think you threatened to show me your penis. <laughs> That was it's more of an offer than a threat. I'm going to go ahead with a threat. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right. So what has everyone been playing? Chivalry. We just got finished with it. Yeah. Right before the recording, we were playing Chivalry. I was rolling around as a man-at-arms, and Phil usually rolls around as a knight or an archer, so we had some fun. Are you familiar with the game at all? I'm vaguely familiar. I've played a little bit with it. One, my half-brother used to play it a lot. I played War of the Roses for a little while, and I I know they're somewhat the same. They're not exactly the same, but there's there's some similarities between the two. But mm. it's a weird melee combat war simulator, kind of. Yes, it's Call of Duty Renaissance Edition. <laughs> Call of Duty Renaissance Fair. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty fair. Uh, also been playing Payday Two. Yeah, Payday Two. The original Payday was inspired by Left 4 Dead, where Left 4 Dead did a bunch of zombie movie stuff. They were like, hey, a game like this would be really cool if you could do bank heists. And like, yeah. And it was hugely, it was hugely inspired by the movie Heat, in fact. So they, they, they have several masks that, that are inspired by Heat and are tributes to the characters, as well as they've even added the character John Wick. They've added several characters like uh, Bodhi from Point Break, added his character as well. The, and they even added a character called Rust, who was inspired by Sons of Anarchy, and is voiced by Ron Perlman. Nice, nice. Yeah, cool. that is my favorite. because I want to buy the biker packs because it's voiced by Ron Perlman. It's his likeness. It's basically Clay Moro, but they couldn't get the rights to Clay Moro. And so this is like a heist game? Yes. It is, yes. It's a four-player co-op like, heist. And you're trying to steal like a truckload of paydays? You're trying yes. to steal basically whatever they give you. you get, there's jewelry store robberies. There's heist robberies. You're fixing an election in one map. Uh, you're breaking a guy out of jail in another map. It's it's pretty much just whatever the devs decide to think of you're playing. Gotcha. And you're trying not to be killed slash arrested by cops. One leads to one begets the other really in this game. Because you have an assault rifle and you're actively shooting police. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. You can even have LMGs, rocket launchers. There's a huge plethora of weapons and DLC packs to unlock. And I priced out the entire DLC package at one point, and it totaled out to $158 and some change. That yeah. is a lot of change. There is, but you know what? <laughs> it pales in comparison to Train Simulator, which has yes. almost $3,000 worth of DLC. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> The, the train simulator and truck simulator games have a shitload of DLC. So do the Sims. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The Sims 3 had like, it was like three or $400 worth of DLC, I think. 
I like Maybe it, a lot more than that. It was like 40 expansion packs that were like 20 bucks a piece. Yep. I like it because these games have digitized hobbies. Like you, instead of having these old 1920s, like two-story miniature dollhouse, you got The Sims. Instead of having a basement uh, model railroad track, you got Train Simulator. And instead of going out and robbing banks, you can just do it on, on your game console. Uh-huh. I mean, that one's probably a good alternative. Yeah. It, well, <laughs> I, I could use the money, but yeah, pretty much. What about you guys? What do you guys been playing? In addition to Chivalry, I've been playing a bit of Helldivers, which has been a lot of fun. I don't think I've played a game like that. It's kind of a top-down, twin-stick shooter kind of action strategy. Up to four players on your team, and you're kind of like, you're, you're transporting down onto a, a planet, and you have like a series of objectives that you got to complete, usually in about 15 Five to fifteen minutes, and it's um, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. I would highly recommend it. We were cramming everything into a game. Yeah, it was fun for the first couple weeks. I'm kind of losing interest, but I think if if I was playing with more than one person, I was playing with other people, would be um something you could play for a while. Absolutely. Yeah, there there are definitely a lot of games that have that problem of this game is a lot of fun, but if I was playing with friends (laughs) that I knew. Like, it would be a lot more fun. Yeah. There's a reason I try to encourage you guys to get Gauntlet, because I was like, hey, I want some people to play this with, and then everybody's on the West Coast, and I get fucked over. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And I've actually been playing something even weirder, in a way. I got into the beta for Elder Scrolls Legends. Ooh, nice. How's that? So I've been playing the Elder Scrolls card game, and it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, I got through the first act of the single player because there's a single player campaign and then there's multiplayer. Sure. Uh, and you have to finish the first act of a single player, which is basically the tutorial before yeah. you can play online against other people. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see that basically it kind of borrows half of its rules from Magic and uh, the other half from Hearthstone. Interesting. So it's got mm. the Hearthstone mechanic of you get one mana a turn and your mana pool grows by one each turn. So you get like, you know, second round you have two mana, third round you have three mana, fourth round you have four. Sure. But then it does weird stuff like Magic does. It has some of the... Trying to think of some of the card states that are in Magic. I can't remember what this one was called. Uh, Maybe Grounded? I don't know. But it's where as... When you attack something and you do more damage than it has health, the extra damage hits the player. Hmm. And it's actually... There's a term for it in Magic that I can't remember the name of it. But yeah, it's basically you know hit the you know mob does like six damage to the card, and if the other card only has two health, it does four damage to the player and bleeds through. It's the like other rampage or something. Yeah, the, that sounds about right. Rampage sounds right. The other thing it does is it splits the board in half, so there are two lanes on the board, and you can put a card in either the left lane or the right lane, and each lane usually has different properties, and they can change depending on the map. I don't know how this affects multiplayer. I don't know if it's random or whatever, but the norm in the first act seems to be that the left lane is daylight and the right lane is fog. So, like, if you put something in the right lane, it it, it can't be attacked until you use it. Wherein, if it's put in the left lane, it's just like you're normally playing a card. As soon as it's down, you can... So, basically, the right lane gives it stealth. The first matchup in the second act changes that and... It gives the lane special properties where at the end of every turn, one card will randomly get swapped to the other lane. Hmm. And so you have to play with these kind of random mechanics and different mechanics for the lanes, but it, it, it just adds an extra little dimension to the game. But otherwise, it's it's the same as basically Hearthstone with a little bit of magic thrown in it. You're, the hero has 30 health. Every time you lose 5 health, you draw an extra card. Mm-hmm. So if someone does 10, 10 damage to you in one one round, you get two cards. Yeah. 
So it it helps. It, it balances things a little bit. Like it just gives you an extra kind of little, hey, I'm getting my ass kicked. So here's a little extra oomph to help me catch back up. So I don't know. It's been interesting so far. I'm gonna be gonna be playing it a little more, and I'm I'm kind of curious to see how it works out when you start adding in multiplayer because I haven't actually played any of that yet. Just been messing with this single player campaign. So I might have to check that out just to just to see what the experience is like because I'm a big fan of online card games. They they can be a lot of fun. Yeah. Side note, it was uh, Trampled, not Rampage. Oh, yeah. Works for me. What about you, Phil? What else you got? Aside I've from been running through a few. So the one before Helldivers, I think I was on a kick of uh, Stardew Valley for a while, which kind of got interrupted after you know I went on like a 10-day vacation, came back, and just kind of started up new stuff. After Stardew Valley, I think I did some Shadows of Mordor. I've really been like doing these two-week block of games that I'll play for a bit. And in between there, I played some Gauntlet and ended up beating that on a solo run. So just been kind of bouncing around. So anything interesting been going on in the game industry that either of you two guys have read, other than the kind of crazy ridiculousness from Pokemon Go? <laughs> the the precipitous fall from how high it was. It's kind of amusing to watch the train wreck unfold, especially because I don't really play it that much, so I'm not super affected by by what's going on. But The only other thing I've seen in your train wreck comment reminded me of this. Apparently, Jesus. Telltale released a new game. They released their new Batman game. And I'm pretty excited. In, in typical Telltale fashion, the release of the game has been a complete train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Oh, oh yeah. Like so they they have a new engine and okay. one of the infamous things for the other engine for PC is that it was always super super buggy and there were just okay. always massive problems with the games. Uh, apparently so, this one's even worse. So so if I so because I late late adopted to uh, The Walking Dead and even Back to the Future I didn't have any problems because of that. Basically, yeah, they okay. fix okay. all the crazy problems, but apparently a lot of people are like the games running at 10 frames per second. The sound lags behind the game by like three to five seconds sometimes. Like wow, it's, yeah, impressive. Uh, what was one of the other complaints that I heard? The buttons were mismapped to the controller, and you can't reconfigure them. So they were playing the- with like they were playing with a controller, and it told them to hit R1 plus A. And like it wasn't doing anything, and they realized that for some reason R1 was actually mapped to L1, and you couldn't change it. How the fuck does that happen? Who knows? Like <laughs> that's pretty impressive, a fuck up actually. But, but yeah, so apparently they're like shit, and like have to fix a whole bunch of stuff. Now, are all these things all they're all happening, or is it like spread out over a number of people? Some people have it's, one glitch, some people have others. Some people have one glitch, some people have others. Because there's gotta go, be one unlucky bastard that's got like all of them, them and yeah, it's just like would always be that unlucky what bastard. broken, just half-formed game did you guys release? Yeah, and the funny part is, apparently, like, people are going, oh, hey, I had that problem, too, and this fixed it for me. And, like, even that fix only works for some people. Oof. Yeah. Or the fix breaks something else, probably. Uh, <laughs> another another weird issue it's been having is that sometimes it will force your system to default to the onboard graphics card, and oh, you, no. you, you can't fix it, like, it, except for, like, a weird, like a weird workaround outside of the game, like, because you can't select it inside of the game. It It's basically just been a really crazy mess. And apparently that problem Super. affects laptop users somehow more often than desktop users. Interesting. And, yeah, it's... Apparently, 
You can't change the resolution because the screen will change resolution, but your mouse will still stay at the old resolution, so it's just trapped in a tiny box in the upper corner of your screen, and you can't move the mouse out of the box. Oh, no. Yeah, there's there's just been some really weird issues, and it kind of sucks. But apparently this is what people expect. Like, it's a, almost a joke now that when Telltale releases a new game, it's just going to be buggy as shit. So... I don't know. I am looking forward to the new Batman game because it looks like it could be really damn good, especially because most Telltale games are really good, but For I sure. have a feeling I'm just going to wait a few months. Yeah, so. I'm wait- I generally wait until the entire thing is out, rather, like all the chapters are out Yeah. For before purchasing a Telltale game. I was going to say, I will probably wait until at the very earliest the Steam Winter Sale because I'm a That's... cheap cheap bastard. Well, yeah, we are loaded card gaming. Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear that Red Dead Redemption 2 has a lot of rumors and fury around it, so I'm pretty excited about that. I love Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, it'd be really great if they would actually, I don't know, re- release any of those games on PC. That'd be fucking fantastic, Rockstar. Stop being assholes. Yeah, that would be nice. I don't, I got nothing. Yeah, I'm never going to get them. <laughs> Maybe Red Dead Redemption 2 will be Xbox One and Windows 10 exclusive. <laughs> That was one of the things that I, I, I just sat there and just like, yeah, I get it. Just, just get the fucking game. I don't care that it's, I just shut up. Uh, E3. That was as far as I got. Yeah. I'll be mad you. I both love and hate E3. I love it because all this news of games comes out, and every year it seems that Sony is the only one that just understands what gamers want to see. We don't give a shit about some fat cat lunatic standing there in a suit talking to us. I want to see games. I want to see trailers. That's it. I don't care about anything else. I don't care that Lana Kane is standing there with her big giant man hands telling me what I want to see next. Nice. Nice. Roll20 is going to have a couple of panels at uh, GenCon. So. If you don't know what Roll20 is, it is a way to play tabletop RPGs online, and I backed them on Kickstarter, and they were it's a pretty awesome idea. Yeah, I, that was I, a good investment. Definitely. I use them frequently when playing uh, with my D&D group. Yep. So, All right. We actually have some business to take care of. Do it. So we've been we've been holding holding off on this announcement for a little while uh, because we wanted to uh, do it right, and we have the winner to our naming contest for our poor little monkey who had no name. So I kind of want to talk about how we like our process because I don't know most of you probably aren't going to give a shit, but some of you might. I know one person who will. Yeah, like. (laughs) I'm I'm interested in it. Like I think it's neat. Like how I thought it was fun. How these things are decided, and we actually had a process to it, which was kind of fun. So first thing we did was for a month we had people submit names, and we got a crap load of names. So then we decided we needed we needed to narrow it down. We we weren't just going to vote for the whole list because there were some really good ones and some not so fantastic ones. Most of them were actually pretty good, and it was hard to pick a top five. So the way way we decided to do it is just Paul and I were going to just independently look at the names over the course of a day, and then we were going to narrow it down and rank our top five. So I would pick my top five, Paul would pick his top five, and then basically Paul gave me his answers, I gave him my answers, and then we we went down the list, and basically what I said was my number one got five points, my number two got four points, my number three got three points, blah, blah, blah. Right. Paul's the same thing. His number one mm-hmm. got five points. And then we added the points up, and the top five of those are what we put to a vote for our fans. 
Now, so, how much did your guys' lists actually match up with each other? Did you guys were you guys pretty similar on them, or I, I think three of ours were the same. Yeah, it's it was so the winner was definitely the same. Yeah, the the winner was on both lists. Actually, I think most of them were. Or I think only one of them. One of them we differed on. Was really, not, I think. I don't know. So the five names that we ended up going with was Thelonious Monkey, Biggles. I think that was one that Paul had that I didn't have. I, I just like the way it sounded. That sounds uh, like a Paul one. Bagels. Yeah. Bagels. Doctor Crunk. Just say it though. Bagels. Yeah. That sounds like bagels, like the, the like bagels. Bagels. breakfast treat. Yes, it does sound like bagels a lot. Dig Dug, which I thought was really funny because it was kind of a pun on the game Dig Dug, which you know, great, great in this Atari case, slash arcade game. In this case, spelled D O U G, I believe. Yes. Yes. Not D U G, like the. Game. Which would be copyright infringement. Yes. And well, he's got a miner's helmet on, so I feel like he's, if it's not a profession, it's at least a hobby. Damn right. So, and then the last one was Professor Bananas. So lots lots of professions at one <laughs> jazz musician and a Biggles and a pun on video games. So Let's not beat around the bush. Biggles does sound like a stripper. It, it sounds Ladies like... And gentlemen, turn your attention to the center stage for Biggles. It also sounds Can like you? a like evil genius's cat. It's probably a male <laughs> like, stripper, actually. Like Doctor Claw's cat would be Biggles. It is. Me. It is very close to Mister Bigglesworth. So. And, and in yeah. fact, and in fact, would probably also the cat would probably be a male stripper. Yes, <laughs> I can see a you know, cat cat male stripper named Biggles. You know, nightlife, that kind of thing. Doctor Claw goes to bed. Biggles goes to play. Right. <laughs> I got fucked up real quick. Nice. <laughs> so. So we opened it, everything up for a vote, and I think, again, the vote was open for, a, I don't think it was a month. It was a couple, at least a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and we had a we had a few people vote. Uh, the way we did it is we used what is called an alternate vote method, where you you have a list of people, you have a list of choices, and you can you could vote for just one if you want. You could vote, you know, you can rank them in order. Like, that was the idea. So you basically, you would rank them, like, the way we rank them. So you would pick, out of these five names your first through fifth favorite. And then basically you take all those votes and you look at everyone's number one choice and you you separate them by the number one choices. And to win, someone has to have more than 50% of the vote. Mm -hmm. So we separated all the votes out and no one had 50%. But Professor Bananas and Dr. Crunk were tied for a lead. So when there's a tie, you take whoever had the least number of votes and you take their ballots and you you look at the number two on those ballots, and you redistribute those votes. So at this point, round two, we still didn't have a winner, but Dr. Crunk went slightly ahead of Professor Bananas. So again, we took whoever had the least number of votes for their first place vote, and we took all of those votes and went to their number two option and redistributed them again, and Professor Bananas made an epic comeback and won. So Professor Bananas wins... And so our, our monkey's name is Professor Bananas. And Man. the winner of the contest is, is Phil. Yeah, it's he's me. actually sitting right with us. I yeah. am his, well, not his creator, but... You win, you win the internet fame. And the, I, named, I named a mascot. And the, uh, and the Steam, Steam goodies. My son, thanks. you. <laughs> well, he could if he could be watching this, but... Yes. Well, yeah, that's probably... Probably uh, not appropriate. Best he's idea. got no. He's got I do his say eyes. fuck a lot. <laughs> well, you're no different than his mom then. <laughs> uh, awesome. Um, anyway, 
But no, what's I think there's a a game that he saw. Like I'll I'll sit here and watch trailers with him during the uh, Steam sales, and he's six, by the way, so kind of a young kid. And he saw Scrap Mechanic. It's a early access game on Steam. That's like twenty bucks, and it's it's kind of Minecraft plus Legos is a Minecraft looking motif, but you're building and crafting vehicles. So it's very much like within a six year old's wheelhouse, and he's like obsessed with that game. He's only seen a trailer for it, but he thinks it's just the greatest game ever, and nice. he just he desperately wants it. So because he's um, six, yeah. And so we got him doing some random random jobs and chores here and there. He's earned his money, and once he he tallies twenty dollars worth of six year old labor, then I will give you guys the green light to buy Scrap Mechanic, and I can present it to him. So no problem. Twenty dollars of six year old labor is like fifty shoes. Yeah, I don't know. He's man, his his fingers are getting worn out. He's crying a lot. Yeah, I mean, it might it might just be like twelve iPhones. It might be. God, that's an awful joke. I'm sorry. I'm a little sorry. That's all right. That's all right. Anyway, Arthur would be up for the task. I think. I think he would. Once he focuses on something, he'll focus on something for a while. All right. So now a really important question: What is mm-hmm. everyone drinking? I am drinking a bottle of twelve year old Scotch, specifically. The Macallan. It is. Macallan 12 is a delicious scotch. Oh, it's so smooth. What you got? I am actually drinking homebrew mead. So, yay, it's my mead. I made it, and I'm drinking it, and it's fucking delicious. Sweet. Yep, yep. Literally. Very sweet. And what about you, Phil? I am drinking a, um, a combination of Country Time Lemonade and Portland 88 brand vodka in... I brought another Trailblazers nice. commemorative Dairy Queen mug. This one with awesome. uh, Jerome Kersey. Here, I'll pull, hold it up. He's singing karaoke. <laughs> and on the back, it gives you some stats. His uh, position, forward, uh, yeah. number 25, height 6'7", and best score, which it says is bust a bucket, which makes no sense to you guys, um, but people living in Portland during their championship runs in the early 90s are aware that is bust that, a bucket is, is a, a chicken song. thing? No, <laughs> it's a it's a song that the team did together and was a big uh, hit. They played it during commercial breaks. All right, so definitely so it's like that Chicago Bears. Song. It is it is the Trailblazer equivalent of the Super Bowl Shuffle. Nice. I, I feel like a bunch of teams from like the '80s up to the mid '90s had like team songs. I know I think the Houston Rockets had one as well, but I think it was a fairly common thing after the the Chicago Bears did theirs. Nice, nice. All right. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, in the previous podcast, Phil brought on another commemorative mug from Dairy Queen of the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, I yeah. think it was Mark Bryant, I, if I remember correctly. I'm a little terrified that you remember that, so um, <laughs> let's move on. It was a memorable show. It was my first time on the show. All right. Let's just get to the actual topic, which is the nostalgia cast for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Now, for those of you who have not listened to the Sega Genesis system, we want to take a minute and just pay homage to the old systems. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, Nintendo, you know, the stuff that we grew up with. And we did Genesis with uh, Bailey of Hobson Heroes fame, and we're going to do Super Nintendo with Phil. Yeah, get the two big ones out of the way first. Or at least the two big ones for our like 25 to 35 generation. Or actually it's more like 30 to 40 generation, I feel. Kind of, yeah. So yeah, we're all in our thirties. Yeah, I'm 36, and when I was, I guess it would be probably going into middle school, pretty much Everyone had a Super NES. Everyone owned one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I felt it was the same for me. I knew so few kids that that had a Sega Genesis. See, I was the complete opposite. I had a Sega Genesis growing up. I did not get a Super Nintendo until I was in my mid twenties. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had both. I was one of those weird people who actually had both. And yeah. yeah Sega was my. Favorite. I knew I knew many many more people that had a Super NES than a Genesis. Well, I don't have the numbers, but I have. I have to imagine that the Super Nintendo outsold the Genesis. Oh, absolutely. But I bet it is like regional pockets where certain folks had more more Genesis ownership than the Super Nintendo. I know we have the numbers from the previous cast. I don't... I I don't think we talked about units, like how many units the Genesis sold. I think we just talked about the games. So the original Sega sold 30 million units, and the original... Worldwide, Super NES sold 49 million units. Mm-hmm. That's a that somehow doesn't surprise me. That's a hefty lead. Yes. You want a fun fact? Please. Dish the, up. the most sold game console in the world, PlayStation 2. No kidding. Yep. How many? More than 155 million. Good gracious. I wonder if it's because like they were cheap to make and they were easy to just yeah. get out there. And the fact that they didn't end of life until maybe four years ago? Wow. Yeah. The one that comes in just before that is the Game Boy, because it sold 118 million. And it lasted um, for like the, a frickin' actually, decade. The Nintendo DS is more than that at 154.02 million. So just under the PlayStation 2. Is that including all... No, it's just the Nintendo DS. Just the original DS? Just the original DS. See, and that's crazy, because I've, I've never owned a handheld system, I guess, outside of my smartphone. Sure, um, sure. Yeah. So I completely discount it as a, as a delivery yeah, device yeah. for video games. I know before, prior to the, the PlayStation 2, like, the Game Boy was the best-selling console. It's just, it's insane oh, sure. how many people owned... That's, that's, that's absolutely true, because the DS wasn't introduced until 2004, four years after the PlayStation 2 debuted. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Phil, the only reason I have a 3DS is because it's the only Nintendo offering I really enjoy anymore, and yeah. I would highly recommend picking one up. Mm. You can actually pick up a 2DS right now, so it's it's not the screens aren't as nice as like the 3DS XL, like the big ass screens that they have. Yeah, and, and it doesn't fold, but it does everything else a 3DS can do minus the 3D, and they're eighty dollars. How does that compare with the normal price? Because Nintendo's pretty notorious for having their stuff be well valued long after it should have gone down. The 3DS XL is currently selling around... Should be 180 Depending on where you get it. Oh, never mind. Those are used. Yeah. Um, so the new one should be like 180 190 from That's from like Amazon, I think. Right, right. Just looking at Walmart, it's 195 Like, Let's look at Best Buy. 200 bucks still for a new 3DS the, XL. The new new 3DS XL on Amazon on sale, 175 Yeah. If you go to Best Buy for full price, it's still 199 that's, but they're that's new. They're, they're new as of like this year, I think. Like, yeah, I, I bought one. Year, they they redid the 3DS. Yeah, I, bu- I bought one. It, it is well worth it as far as I'm concerned because I hate to say it, but my eyes are getting worse as I continue to age and I need the larger screens. Yeah. But the, the 2DS is definitely functional and like $80 sure. right now comes with Mario Kart 8 or whatever the hell it is that's on yeah. the, uh, the 3DS. It's, it's well worth the money so as far as I'm concerned. 80 bucks for the console and a game, and like that's kind of insane. Although with Arthur, I don't think you'd have much time to play it, considering he'd probably monopolize it. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's kind of goes back and forth. It's it's 
Sometimes it's PC. Sometimes it's uh, sure. the Wii U. Sure. All right. So, Favorite games or series for the SNES? Let's just jump right in. Right in the deep end. Yay! Favorite game? I Probably Final Fantasy VI. I think Super Metroid is the better package. It's a four to eight hour experience, whereas Final Fantasy VI is... Um, 60 hours? <laughs> it's huge. It's it huge. I sunk so much time into that. The value... And how good it is still. Like it's it's not like an empty sixty hours. It's no, um, it's it's full. You're exploring of, the whole time. There's yeah, it's yeah. a heart rending experience and just a beautiful game. Just it is my favorite Final Fantasy bar none. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It is, I will agree that it is also my favorite Final Fantasy game. All right. And and honestly, it was a tough call for me between Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VI. I I want to say both, but I don't know if I can. I think I think since Phil took Final Fantasy VI, I'm gonna go with Chrono Trigger. <laughs> Thank you for doing that, taking that bullet. There's no wrong choices here. <laughs> there really isn't. It's difficult. And I'm going to go an entirely different route, though not really, because all three of our favorite games are made by Square, which is kind of yep. funny. My favorite is Seiken Densetsu 2, otherwise known as Secret of Mana, yeah. which is one of the best action RPGs ever made and for the Super NES. Is Square dominated. Absolutely dominated yeah. the SNES. Yeah. SNES was Square's thing. Like that, that was where SquareSoft made a huge deal. And the SNES to Nintendo 64 transfer is kind of what broke Nintendo, like Nintendo and SquareSoft. SquareSoft yeah. was Nintendo exclusive, and then yeah. they wanted they, to do they wanted to do more. They wanted to do everything they could, and the limitations of cartridge formats couldn't do that for them. So they went to Sony. Yep. And I don't think they've made a game specifically for Nintendo since. Uh, they've made some for the handheld like consoles. DS and yeah, they've yeah. been using the Game Boy, but yeah, not for their not for, like, actual their, consoles. Yeah. And, on, and let's be honest, their handheld offerings are far better than their consoles anyway. But Secret of Mana, if you have not played it, is a great game. It's very similar in style to Zelda A Link to the Past. Uh, where yep. it is it is that kind of top-down, isometric, you run around and hack things up. There are, I believe, eight weapons in the game. There's a sword, a spear, a bow and arrow, a whip. There's, I think you can even kung fu fight people. Like, yeah, the knuckles. Yeah, and you, and you train up the weapons, so the more you use them, the better you get at them. It's It was just great variability in the game, which is really cool. Um, I don't think I saw that level-up system with weapons before Secret of Mana. I know yeah. that was a huge, huge draw for me, is I got eight weapons, and they can all be upgraded eight times. Like, yes. that is... That's huge. Like that's that's such a draw when you're like <laughs> when you're first introduced to that mechanic and when you're that young it's and um, you want to sink a lot of time into a game. So and, and the coolest part about Secret of Mana is that if you owned a multi tap, you could play it three players. There are three main characters and you start off with only one character and then eventually you get a second one and eventually you get a third one. And it can play two player just fine with the ports that are naturally on the Super NES, but it really shines when you plug that multi-tap in and you can have three people playing co-op through an action RPG and it's just kind of amazing. See, and if I I'm never... not mistaken, that was one of the few games that actually utilized the multi-tap, especially with an RPG. That was the first game yeah. of, an R- of the RPG format to offer co-op with three people, let alone Uh, two. So the weird thing with Final Fantasy VI is you could actually play (laughs) co-op. You could. Yeah. I remember that, because... And and basically, it worked really, really weird. Like, player one controlled the party on the Overland map, and basically Mm -hmm. all the dialogue options and everything, but in combat, you could assign people to the second player controller, and, like, yeah. 
people could split it that way and play co-op. It didn't really work all that fantastically. No, but still, as I played with a, a friend, we often just sat and played the same game. A lot of things are RPGs, so there's a lot of sitting and watching to do for one person. Yeah. So even something like that, you know, it's 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 a bone that I could throw to my friend or that he could throw to me yeah. to keep you well, keep you interested. The last time that back in high school, I think, when we played through Final Fantasy VI with friends, like we just played single player and just we would have four people sitting around watching basically, and in combat, you know, each person would be in in control of the actions of that one person. You'd just be like, yeah, I want to fire three that guy, or hey, you know, do this action to this guy, and you know, the one person with the controller would do it, but all four people would make the decisions for combat, and we would kind of yeah. you know, discuss tactics and stuff, and it made the game a little more interesting. But so it can yeah. totally be done if you know you're creative enough, but you have to actually you know be creative enough to do it. Sure. So. Did you, so you you kind of mentioned it, but you did, you actually got to play three-player with uh, Secret of Mana? Oh, yes, we played. I never got that experience, and yeah, we, I always wished I could. Yeah, we Same played, thing. like, I beat it, the first time I played it, I beat it by myself. Then over at a friend's house, like, we would we would basically game at a friend's house every weekend, and while we were waiting for people, or, af- like, after some people went to sleep or whatever, we would, we would play, and we, me and him played through the game at least three more times each time with a different third player. Yeah. <laughs> and we would usually let the third player, like, which one of the characters do you want to play? Because there's the main hero, which is a swordsman slash mana hero chosen one dude. Dashing uh, young boy. Yeah. yeah. Then there's the the princess who kicks more ass than the hero, which is kind of funny sometimes. She's and then kind of... She did you ever think or or feel that she was just kind of a palette swap almost with um with Chrono Trigger that Marl I think is the the princess kind of. there because they look a lot alike. Yeah, this game came out before Chrono Trigger, I believe. Yeah, yeah, and, this was a couple years, I think. Yeah, and then the third one was a sprite, which was like this little weird midget thing that was kind of crazy and cast offensive magic. So so the way it worked is the hero actually I think the hero had offensive magic. I don't know. It, it each each person had different spells that they could cast based on the elemental things, and I know the I think the the chick had augmented people, so it was like weapon buffs basically, and then mm-hmm. someone had offensive magic and someone had defensive magic basically. She each, was she was the main party healer if I remember right. It 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 all goes crazy, but a little bit yeah. I need to play it again. And the, couldn't remind me, but. The spells could level up too, couldn't they? Yes, you yes. can level up. You could level up your spells, and they do more damage. Like, like every more you cast up, yeah. them, they level up, and then when you get right, to level right. two, then it'll take mm-hmm. like twice as many casts to get that spell up to level three. So they they kind just... of took the skill system from Final Fantasy two, the real Final Fantasy two, and moved it into their spell and weapon slots, but mm-hmm. made it better and not reliant mm-hmm. on those skills. But you level. also leveled. Normally, too. So, like, you yes. had your character leveled, and you had proficiency levels also. Right, right. So. They, they, they didn't rely on that specifically for your levels. They just kind of incorporated that into your into the both the level system and the skill system. It was really yeah. nice. They did mm-hmm. it very harmoniously. Yeah, but if, if you have a Super NES and it still works, and you can find a copy of Secret of Mana in Which, let's be honest, good fucking luck. Do it. It'll... Just invest. It's worth it'll it. Be, 
expensive. I'm sure we'll get to that some t- somewhere in this, but yeah, those games are expensive. Oh yeah, they, they get. I actually was looking at a uh, a couple of weeks ago with when Pokemon Go came out. I started looking at the original Game Boy. I think Advance. I think I I was looking at the original Game Boy versions of Red and Blue, and and then I was like, yeah, I'd rather have the Game Boy Advance remake of like Fire Red and whatever Blue that they did. Uh, or the screen. They were like $120 for the Game Boy Advance game. Like, holy so, crap. <laughs> so Secret of Mana, the original game, take a guess how much it is. 20 bucks. Out of, really? like, out of unboxed, used? Yeah, unboxed, used. 65. Wow. You are one penny off, Phil. 64. Oh, I win both showcases. $64.99. Yeah, that is... that. Uh, like, I checked out on Amazon. Uh, I didn't check out eBay, but $64.99. That's actually not too terrible. Yeah, when, when you were... You had that First shock in your card. boy, so I was thinking it was going to be yeah. stupidly cheap. So. Well, I mean, considering when I thought it was, like, hundreds of dollars, yeah, that's... That is stupidly cheap, in fairness. The price point I remember for essentially all the top-tier SNES games, like, ones that actually had a good print production, not just rare yeah, because they yeah. didn't print that many. It's it's generally between sixty to eighty bucks for your your Chrono sure. Triggers, Final Fantasies, Secret of Mana, Secret Evermores, all those kind of iconic RPGs. If you check it out on eBay, the current price is around uh, fifty to seventy five. If Although you want think, it non boxed. I think some of those like Final Fantasy Six and Earthbound are probably oh, very up there keep them. eighty to a hundred bucks oh. or something like that. So on I was looking up Final Fantasy VI, which is Final Fantasy III in the U.S. Yeah. Sure. A used copy on Amazon is under $50. Wow. Really? The market's gone down there. I feel like I should no buy shit. a couple to invest. I know, right? So apparently there are two copies of Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, brand new. It says buy new. Okay. $399.97. Wow. 400 bucks. $400 for a brand new unopened copy of Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Ouch. Let's not do that ever. In the description <laughs> in the description for about the product it says entry level role playing adventure. That's well that's accurate. That's honestly really accurate considering Mystic Quest was was geared toward Americans, wasn't it? Yeah, it was so I think it was I can't remember if it was released after Final Fantasy 2 or Final Fantasy 3. Final Fantasy Two, which is Final Fantasy Four in the actual games, because yeah. they thought they would confuse Americans, which is sure. funny now. Yeah, uh, they so they they made they dumbed down Final Fantasy Two because they felt that Americans couldn't handle how difficult the game would have been otherwise. So they made Final Fantasy Mystic Quest for American audiences to give them an easier RPG to play. <laughs> Although designed by one of Square's development teams in Japan, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest was specifically geared for the U.S. market. At the time, console role-playing games were not a major genre in North America. Square thus attempted to broaden the genre's appeal through Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Square had already released several Final Fantasy spin-offs in North America, including the first three titles in the Saga series as Final Fantasy Legend, and the first Mana series game as Final Fantasy Adventure, and wished to further break into the popular American consciousness. Square executives cited the alleged difficulty of RPGs as the reason Americans shied away from them, and eased the difficulty level by tweaking various aspects of the main series gameplay. The American release of Final Fantasy IV was altered to make the game simpler, for example. Mystic Quest was to take this one step further, and the Japanese developers worked at the American offices to make sure the game was accessible to children. Basically, they said, uh, fuck Americans, let's make this as dumb as possible. Yeah, see, I think that is an absolute bunk reason, because I agree. the Dragon Warrior games for the NES were, were already popular. Stellar, yeah, they really were. 
you can't tell me that there's no market for RPGs or JRPGs on the Super Nintendo, so you had to make a crappy one to get the Americans interested in it. I, I, I both understand why they did it and dislike why they did it. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Moving on? Yeah, we'll, we'll move on, because we'll come back to that game here in a little bit. I we think. will. We will. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing is that some of these games are not that expensive. They're about the price that they were when they originally came out, which was $60. So... What are some other games, like aside from our favorite games, mm-hmm. what are some other great games to be played on the Super NES? Some of which people may not have ever heard about. Did you guys ever play Knights of the Round or King of Dragons? Yes to both. Yes, and they were both ridiculously fucking hard. Because I um, I love both those, essentially, kind of the final fight yes. uh, yep. style yep. turned into a medieval side-scrolling beat-em-up. Yeah. They had lots of influence. Like they reminded me a lot of uh, Shadows of Mystara, the uh, yeah. D&D oh, okay. arcade okay. game. So but, King of Dragons was Shadows of Mystara, but dumbed down because they couldn't get the D&D license. So they ported it to SNES as King of Dragons. Yeah. They, they basically ported the, the game to SNES as King of Dragons so that they could get skirt the license and just kind of... They put together the different maps and everything, but remained marginally the same toward Shadows of Mystara. Mm-hmm. Interesting. See, I always thought it was like a, a rip-off of The Hobbit or an homage to The Hobbit, um, especially yeah, with the ending being, being the giant dragon sitting over a hoard of yeah. gold in a mountain cave. Right, right. So yeah, I, I definitely played those. Uh, Knights of the Round was actually really, really fun. I, I'm actually a big fan of the like side-scrolling beat-em-up. Uh, Final fights were Same really, way. really great. As we mentioned in the Sega episode, Streets of Rage were really good. Like So Final Fight was Nintendo-exclusive, Streets of Rage was Sega-exclusives. Mm-hmm. I love those games. They were, they were all really, really fun. They need to make more of them. They're good shit. And then did you guys ever play uh, Super Buster Brothers? It's, no, I never did. It's, a, it's an action puzzle, puzzle game um, okay. with some platforming elements. So you're on the bottom of the screen. Um, you're a character who shoots entirely up. And above you is a number of bouncing balls. You shoot one it splits into two smaller balls. You shoot that one, splits into two. So the more you shoot, the more balls on the screen. Eventually, they'll get down to a size where you can just eliminate them. I was going to say, the ball always wins then. Yeah, and so the what you, what you shoot at them are these, like, cords that go up to the screen. So if they touch the cord as it's winding up to the screen, it pops. So you can kind of arrange arrange that so that they run into it while you're trying to run left and right, because eventually there's so many balls bouncing everywhere that it's just trying to dodge and not get killed. So many balls. <laughs> but no, I would totally recommend it. It's it's such a... F- I find it infinitely replayable. And I think it's relatively cheap compared to the other ones that we've been talking about. So that one's kind of an old one that I don't, I'm not sure that many folks have heard of, um, or played at least. And then... Wizardry 5 was a first-person dungeon-crawling role-playing game, which um, was kind of the first of that type of genre that I felt actually released a playable version on a console. I never had a a PC growing up until maybe like middle school, so I didn't get to play any of those type of um, dungeon-crawling games in the 80s, but... Eye of the Beholder, I think, got released on the Super NES, and actually it was a really decent port. I never got into that. I couldn't... I had a hard time with it kind of grasping it for some reason. I felt yeah. Wizardry was it's, a little bit easier for yeah, me to get, I, get my head, head around. The Eye of the Holder games were really hard and vague, but yeah, I, I totally agree. But I'm just saying, like that, I, I think it probably Wizardry is what got them to port Eye of the Beholder. Yeah. I own the, a copy of Wizardry 4, 
on Super Nintendo, and I actually own a copy of Eye of Beholder on Game Boy Advance, and that was the first uh, Eye of the Beholder game that I beat. Oh, nice. Just throwing that out there. I own Eye of the Beholder. It's one of those games where, you know, back in the early 2000s when they're easily attainable at used media shops, I would just go out yeah. there and buy games because they were cheap. Sure. And I haven't yeah. played this, so I haven't been able to really get past the, the opening parts of Eye of the Beholder. It's a little bit too old and too... I, I, I guess I just don't want to put the time into figuring it out. I'll, I'll, I'll just say right there, I'm, I'm kind of lazy about it, so... Man, I thought for sure Eye of the Beholder was on good old games, but apparently it's not. No, really? that surprises me. Because all the other gold box games are. I know Champions of Credit is on there. That's goddamn that that wasn't my favorite game. Growing up, I had that on my old Commodore 64, and it was awesome. Yeah, apparently it does not exist on good old games, which is kind of sad. I'll be damned. That is sad. Oh, well. You guys got any, like, Diamonds in the Rough type games that you guys... Brain Lord. Okay, I don't even know that one. Yeah, what's up now? It is an old Brain. Enix game that was a, an action RPG and puzzle game that is probably one of my favorites on SNES, period. It is a great old Enix game. I highly recommend it if you can get your hands on it. I, I've got a copy on my Super Nintendo and it, I'm staring at it right now, actually. It's oh man, awesome. this thing looks great. I'm punching it's up great, images right? of it. And it, it looks it, awesome. It plays fantastic. It's very fluid controls. It just is one of my favorites. Is it like an action RPG type? It or? is. It is. Uh, slash your sword with one hand. Uh, uh, with one button, you can switch spells with uh, the right and left bumpers. And use spells with the other hand. Charge them up. you got to charge them up for a few seconds, depending on how long the charge bar is. It's, it's really fun. It's, it's hard to describe, but it is a great action RPG. Yeah, it looks interesting. I liked it. Buy used for thirty-eight dollars and ninety-one cents. That's palatable. I could it, I could spend forty bucks on a good one. I think it's worth forty dollars, but I don't know if Bulbasaur would think it's worth forty dollars. <laughs> hey, I I earn a modest salary, which which I can I can spend on myself. That's fair. Uh, for those who want context, uh, Phil's wife works in public relations, and we don't say her name on air. We refer to her as Bulbasaur because that's far more palatable than calling her by name. She, she's a lawyer who works for the state, so um, she yeah, Public she affairs, works, yeah. Works for the government and prefers not to. Yeah. Yes. It harkens back to a, a Tadpog episode where every mention of Bulbasaur's name was redacted with the sound effect of Bulbasaur saying its name. Bulbasaur! Yes. Yeah. Nice. What about you, Dan? You got any uh, little hidden gems? So the hidden gem that I have is a very weird game, and I don't know why I had as much fun with this game as I did. Go on. Because the game was generally panned, like, really hard. So there's... I'll bet you I know what it is. The game <laughs> is Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball. Yes. <laughs> and... It's made by Hudson Soft, and if you know anything know. about Hudson Soft, they are they're basically known from really terrible games. The Hudson Soft B. Yes. I, I know them exclusively for Ad Adventure Island, and that's I know them it. for uh, Mylon's Secret Castle, or as the AVGN called it, Mylon's Shitty Asshole. Yes, that that game was horrendous. But the only good thing Hudson Soft I think has ever done is Bomberman. Like yeah. That was their gem. They did Bomberman, and like everything else was pretty terrible. Buster's Quest was okay. I never played it. It was okay. But so Bill Lambeer 
was a man on the Detroit Pistons, apparently, back in the day. Back when they actually won or were attempting to win a world title, I think against the Bulls. Like, yeah. so, yeah, they were... But, back when they were actually good. Yeah, back back in the day when video games were just trying to sign anyone under the sun to licensing deals for, for their games. But one of the things Bill Lambier was apparently known for was being physical in the paint. Like, he yep. would go in and just basically beat the shit out of people. He would murderize um, people. So they made this really ridiculous game. Like, it, it, the game's kind of bad, but it's also really awesome because it's co-op. Like, you can play co-op. And my brother and I did all the time, and it was fucking hilarious. But the funny part about this basketball game, so it's top-down. Like, so 90 degrees straight down overhead view. Like, so it's really fucking awkward. But there are no fouls in the game at all. So you're running around, like, checking people like it's fucking hockey and, like, punching people to get the ball from them. Like, you're not going after the ball. You punch the person. Yes. And the game is just so ridiculously over the top that, like, I mean, you would literally just foul the shit out. Like, you would just wreck someone in a corner, steal the ball from them, and try and score. Like, Absolutely. And when you're playing with two people, it's so much easier to do, which made it a whole lot more fun. So my brother and I would play this game for hours and just wreck people in advance and the weird thing it used is it used a very european style progression ladder so you would start in like the c tier of games and then you play a season and at the end of the season the top two teams get promoted to the league above it and the bottom two teams get demoted to the league below it Mm. and so your goal was to play your way up into the a league and then win the professional league and then you beat the game and you could do it in three or four seasons but usually like i mean the games got significantly harder as you progress up in these tiers but you know most american audiences have no idea how that shit works because none of our sports work that way british soccer does like european soccer works like that but it'd be a lot more fun if it did though yeah nothing in the u.s works like that but yeah could you imagine if you know the bottom two nfl teams got demoted to college and the i would love everything about that promoted to the NFL like that would yeah. be really or even cool. if they or even if they had the the top the bottom two teams get demoted to arena league and the arena league teams got promoted yeah uh-huh. that's a two totally different games though <laughs> absolutely because but in that's part of the fall yeah. toss out the 76ers bring in the Idaho stampede okay them- sure why not yeah, you probably could the sixers are pretty terrible you mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been I've been advocating relegation for years not only for NFL but for NHL as well as the- MLB I'm pretty sure the only sport in the United States that ha- would have the infrastructure to even consider relegation would probably be baseball. Yeah. Probably, yeah. Because they have several farm teams. Well, they have seven leagues deep of farm teams. Like, yes. yeah. I mean, you have AAA is the mi- the minor league teams, and then you have AA and then single A baseball. And they got yep. short season and long season. Yeah, yeah. equivalents of those as well. Yeah. So like please they shorten the season ML, MLB, please. Yeah. You don't need it's to play so 170 games. 162. Cool fact. I used to report on the uh Eugene Emeralds single A baseball team. So Me. that was one of my first internships. Awesome. Nice. But yeah. So I probably don't recommend buying Bill Lambier's combat basketball, <laughs> but it was it was a fun game to play. Like it was just it was one of those games that like this game shouldn't be as fun as it is because it, it's I, just so dumb. I don't think it got higher than like a two and a half out of five. Like I mean, they were 
they it got panned by basically everyone like having horrible controls and terrible gameplay. But if you have someone to sit down and play it with, it can be a lot of fun. Like in all of the wrong ways. Buy new for twenty five dollars on Amazon, but most of the bidding ones on eBay it looks like are a dollar to five dollars. Like I'll include a screenshot of the game, but just go look at a at a screenshot of gameplay. Like just. And that that will show you just how terrible it looks. Yeah. And another interesting fact, Bill Lambeer bait my uh, Trailblazers, tying it back to the intro. Um, Jerome Kersey's Trailblazers and lost 4-1 to one in the 1990 NBA Finals. So, fun fact, uh, apparently GameSpot rated it a 6.1 out of 10. Yeah, like it, it did okay, not, so not... Well, that's actually not bad, considering it would be 5 as, the, as, as your rating if that translated. That's not bad at all. It's not... A, terrible game, but it's not a bad game either. Yeah, it just, I guess, try it? Yeah. I mean, you might have fun. I, I think it's it's probably going to be more fun if you have a friend to enjoy the game with, because that's sure. what made it fun for us, but it is it is definitely a very rough diamond in the rough. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Alright. What about the uh, other games that didn't make the cut for our favorite games? I mean, we already talked about Bill Ambeer's Combat Basketball, Final Fantasy VI, uh, Brain Lord, what else we got? Uh, another one that I thought was really fun, ActRaiser. I don't know if any, either of you guys played that game. Yes, I played the I shit beat that out of that game. Yeah. It, so it's a weird game. It's just, it's fucking weird. So It's a good half, weird, though. Yeah, half of the game is city building, like SimCity city building. Like, you mm-hmm. build a city. It's a very and, dumbed-down version of SimCity, but yeah. it's still very much a city building and city yeah. managing game. So so you're like a mythological god, basically, and you're you're t- you're a caretaker over this civilization. And so you, you're, you build the city for these people. And then after you basically do good enough at the city building, you unlock challenging, like, this other deity... Or something. I don't even remember the the plots so <laughs> vaguely <laughs> and loose. Yeah. So so basically, at this point, you as the god go do basically this almost Metroidvania action platforming segment where you fight your way to this end boss and then kill it and then go on to the next phase of your civilization where you rebuild a town again. Mm-hmm. Get to a certain point, unlock the action platforming, go through, kill the boss, reset everything to the next phase yeah and there's like five or six phases and but it's it's a fun little game it is really it's very different which i think is what made it really good yeah i'd never seen anything that combines those such starkly contrasted styles of gameplay and do it well like it's 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 entirely seamless it it all fits into the game you you go mm-hmm. do an action part you zoom back out and you manage your city shit goes down and you zoom back down in and do another action part and what's cool after that is like the cities all kind of tie in with each other so even yeah. though you yep. may have beat level 1 or 2 your your people at like the third and fourth world their third and fourth city they might get into trouble and you need to go back to world 2 and the people at world 2 will have like we found we made music, and now you can spread it to the to the people in World Three who are depressed. Mm-hmm. Or we have yeah. wheat, and so now you can solve a, a, a corn famine in another city. So it was really neat having it all tied back and forth between each other like that. There was five total stages, and it ended up where you rammed down in that avatar in the sixth time, and then finally beat the game. It's it was an interesting blend of city management and action platformer. Yeah. So. 
I'll I'll keep rolling here a little bit. The sure. next set of games I want to talk about are the Bomberman games because I mentioned those earlier as being yep. the gem of the Hudson Soft Library. Mm-hmm. And Bomberman's been on like every platform known to man, pretty much at this point. But what made Bomberman really interesting for the Super NES is that this is the reason the multi-tap exists. If it wasn't for Bomberman coming to the Super NES, there would be no multi-tap. So the cool thing that it had that made it so great is four-player deathmatch multiplayer. And if you've never played Bomberman, it's super stupidly simple. You're a dude, you can drop a bomb, and there's a grid. You play on basically a grid, like almost like a chessboard. And when you place a bomb, your bomb blows up a certain number of pixels to the side. Like it, each little square, like to the side, and you can drop X number of bombs at a time. And the way this this game works, like when you're playing a multiplayer, is you have four people running around and you're trying to blow up the other people and not get blown up. And this is one of those games where the multiplayer is so like frenetic and just crazy intense that I have never heard more profanity. <laughs> From players towards other players than I have playing Bomberman games. In fact, one of the absolute best Xbox Live Arcade games was Bomberman Live or Bomberman Arcade. One of those, I can't remember what it was called. It was one of those. It was called Bomberman Live. But it had eight player death matches. So you could have have up to four people locally and you could still go online and play with another four people. And I have never heard people just repeatedly yelling the word shit, 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 shit. <laughs> then when they get bombed into a corner and they can't move because they don't have the special power-up that lets you move other people's bombs, and they just die, and it's hilarious. Like, it is, their games are so much fun if you have people to play with. The the single-player game is fun, too. It's got... it's You basically... You have these the same stages where it's a big grid and your goal is to kill all of the enemies on the stage and then advance to the next stage. It's it's a fun little puzzle kind of in and of itself, but multiplayer is where those games really, really shine. Yeah. All right. I'm going to drop one in there. Super Metroid. Yeah. One of my favorites. Glorious game. And probably the, the... I would say it's probably the inspiration for Castlevania Symphony of the Night because it, the, it literally gave the formed the term of Metroidvania, and Castlevania Symphony Night is the first Metroidvania game, and it spawned a whole bunch of uh, spiritual successors, so to speak. Great series of games, and just fantastic first game of Super Metroid, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, a lot of people really liked it. I'm not a huge Metroid fan, but I, I definitely understand the appeal of it. In general, or just Super Metroid? I've, just, I've never been a huge fan of any of the Metroid games. I just Because if you say the Metroid 3D games, like on GameCube, no. I would totally understand because they're fucking terrible. Yeah, I, I've only heard horrible things about Metroid Prime. Awful controls, just bad. Yeah, but I know I know tons of people love the older Metroid games, and this is apparently one of the really good ones. This is the uh, I guess Contra Three of Metroid games. Yeah, it's Probably. it's the only one that I really played. I played some on the Nintendo, but not to the extent that I would play this and beat it. And I never played anything after this either. So Super but Metroid it is, is arguably the perfect Metroid. It's such a good it captures atmosphere better yeah. than any other game on the system i think the combination of just like the look and feel is kind of spooky and creepy the music it just really kind of changes the mood depending on if it, if it kind of wants to creep you out or if it kind of wants to give you this more exploratory soundtrack but either way it's it's all kind of very alien sounding and and really kind of just just a good good package 
Well, mm-hmm. it's funny you say that because that was the entire point of the game was to literally take Alien and make it into a space marine. I, I hesitate to say marine, but a, a space uh, bounty hunter form. It was what? just an amazing game as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. What about yeah. you, Phil? You got anything? Try to think well. So I guess you had mentioned Secret of Mana um, as your favorite, obviously, uh, and Evermore was. Yeah. You, I feel like you can't kind of say one without the other, just because they're true. so yeah. similar, and one's just kind of like here's the American version of of the Japanese uh, yes. popular Japanese game. And Secret of Evermore plays very, very similarly to Secret of Mana, only it only has two people. It's a dude and his dog. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's I but liked it's basically the same combat system. I think. Yeah, it's part. like the same context. Uh, instead of spells, you have alchemy where you find ingredients, but the spells level up the same way by using them more and more makes them more powerful. The weapons, you don't get as many and you can't level them up as much, but they still level up. And I kind of... It's it's a role-playing game outside of your standard high fantasy setting, which which I like, which is dominates role-playing games quite a bit. And this one kind of fell outside that a little bit, which, yeah. which was and it's kind of cool because you kind of travel to different time periods almost, which they fleshed out a little bit further in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, but like there's a one point where your dog becomes a crazy robot dog, and it's kind of yeah, really that fun. was. It's it's yep. that is a cool little addition to every single every single place your dog goes to. He turns into a different yeah. uh, different type of dog, which is fun. But yeah, yes. big fan of that one. What else would I have? I mean, Yoshi's Island and Super Mario World. Don't say Yoshi's Island. <laughs> no, are you not a fan of Yoshi's Island? I hate it so much. Uh, oh, Paul. <laughs> oh, Paul. That's all right. I hate it so much. That's all right. The other probably, and the funny part is the only actual Nintendo property that. I feel I would put on this list of like really, really outstanding games that you should play that are not my favorite. Probably Zelda A Link to the Past. Definitely. Like, in my opinion, that is the still the best Zelda game. Like I don't A think Link Between it, Worlds beats it. Which is the sequel to yeah. Link to the Past. Yeah. But it I may be on par as as far as I'll get willing be willing to go. But just like for the time that it was released and as innovative as it was and just took them what, like ten years to Equal it with the sequel in that case. Yeah. Oh, more than it was more than ten years, way more. Like uh, it's, twenty. It's really. crazy how good that game is. Like it is amusingly, it spawned an entire other game that uh, I'm pretty sure still exists. That's called Grawl, G R A A L, and it was basically originally started as a online multiplayer version of Zelda: A Link to the Past, and now it is a really fucking bizarre game because people can make their own levels and stuff for it. It took them 22 years and one day. 22 years and one day. It was released in 1991. Was Link to the Past, and Link Between Worlds was November 22nd, uh, 2013. Hmm. It, It. as far as I'm concerned, they're they're on par at the very most. A link to the past might have, might eke it out depending on how much nostalgia factor you factor into it. But I loved a link between worlds very much, yeah. and it is the second Zelda game that I've beaten. I've never beaten a link to the past. I've beaten a link between worlds, and I've beaten the original Zelda. Interesting story I have about Link to the Past. Go on. It's, it's one of those one of those games. So obviously, when you're that young, you don't have a whole lot of access to games. Um, sure. So when you when you get one, it's a big deal. You, you get, like, maybe two to six a year. I don't know, probably even less than that when you're, you know, eight oh, to yeah. ten. So I was, for whatever reason, I had a game. I was, uh, my mom was going to buy me a game, and I just needed to go pick it out. And hadn't done, like, any research on it, but, uh, you know, I 
go and browse the the games when I'm at the store all the time, so I kind of know what's there. Sure. And I have it narrowed down between two games. One of them is Zelda: Link to the Past. Uh-huh. Uh, the other one is called Race Driven, which, oh, if you're not familiar. Right. With Race Drive-In, it was something that came out in the arcades in, like, 89, 90, and it was, like, a technological powerhouse for that time. It was this 3D polygon race car, and it's like you're driving on a Hot Wheels track. There's loop-de-loops, there's all sorts of stunts that you're trying to go up, and it's there's no actual racing outside of time trials. You're not racing against anybody, but you're just right. trying to do these do this stunt course in this set amount of time. And if you don't do it, if you fall off, you crash, you start over, you do again. So it was between those two, and I went with Zelda for whatever reason and like looking back try and look at YouTube clips of this game race driving and it is absolute garbage it is such a (laughs) terrible game and like the frame rate is like five frames per second it is unplayable it looks just so dated and shit compared to Zelda which is it still looks good today like that art style is not it doesn't get old whereas like these really blocky polygonal shapes yeah that's that gets old real quick but yeah it's just two choices and I could have chosen like one of the best games on the Super Nintendo or one of the worst ones yeah, it's 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 like going into the NFL draft and you have Peyton Manning and you have Ryan Leaf and <laughs> I went with Peyton Manning, thank God, because no <laughs> so yeah, I'm all about I'm all about Zelda. That's that's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, so we talked about this one last time that we did the uh, Nostalgia cast, and it was on Sega Genesis, you were very disappointed in it. Yes. Whereas on Super Nintendo, you were quite pleased with it. Yes. So give us some rundown on Shadowrun. Shadowrun for the Super NES was a fantastic game. The weird part of it was the firearm mechanic, but other than that, like once you got used to the firearm mechanic, it was actually really good. Uh, but the firearm mechanic was just kind of really weird where you had to, like I think, like hit the, hit the right shoulder button and then aim with the the D-pad and then hit another button to fire. So, like, while something is running at you on an isometric, like, top-down view, and it was it was not easy to shoot people. No, it was not intuitive. It no, was, okay, uh... so, I, so I haven't played a Shadowrun on Super Nintendo. I played it on Sega Genesis, and I thought it was okay, but... So it was an action RPG in Super Nintendo? For the most part, yes. Okay, Interesting. But for the most part, it was kind of like a detective adventure game for the most part. You were just running around kind of talking to people. But yeah, the combat was all real time and like you're throwing spells at people and shooting at people. It's it's a little weird in that case. Yeah, the the Matrix was not as good as it was in the uh, in the Genesis version. That was one of the things that really shown in the Genesis version was the the Matrix system that they had in place. Sure. Um, but I really liked the story in the SNES one a lot better. Was that the one with Jake Armitage? Yeah. Okay. Jake, Jake Armitage, if you are familiar with the Shadowrun Returns game, Jake was the protagonist in the Shadowrun for Super NES. Nice. Nice. So you played as Jake through that game. You should play it. And like, like I said, it, the controls are a little weird, and it takes a little getting used to, but once you get used to them, like it, it works really, really well. And the story is really, really fucking awesome, but it's it's one of those like tabula rasa beginnings, and that's it's one of the jokes that's in Shadowrun Returns. Like, at the beginning of the game, you wake up in a morgue, 
Like you are nice. inside, you are nice. inside one of the lockers, and you open it up and are like, "How the fuck did I get in here?" And at the beginning of Shadowrun Returns, Jake is sleeping in the morgue. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do something with you, Dad. <laughs> but yeah, so that was that was one of those throwback jokes to the original game that I like that that they did, which was I like that a lot. Good. Yeah, just had a really really good story. Uh, I think the story holds up a little better than the Genesis one, but I need to go back and play the Genesis one to give it a fair shake. Now that uh, I'm far nice, enough removed nice, to be able nice. to do so. All right, I got one for you. Welcome to NBA Jam. Damn yeah. right. All right. Let's knock out some sports games. Like yeah, NBA oh, yeah. Jam was a lot of fun. It was not oh, God, yes. quite as good and polished as the arcade game, but no. holy but it was crap so was it so good. Yeah. I mean, it, it it brought a an arcadey feel to any sports game. So if if you got a friend who is like I love Madden and I I like real sports games, play NBA Jam with him and I guarantee you that he will have so much fun, just as much fun as you do if you don't like sports games. Yeah, and NBA Jam a lot like Bill Ambeer combat basketball, but probably a little better. Also did not have fouls basically, so you could just smack the ever loving shit out of people and yeah, probably a little yeah. better. Come on, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. They are totally different games. Yeah. They are. I'll give you that You're, much. You have two V two arcade basketball versus like full squad, top down, full court ridiculous. Fist fights. Like, yeah. yeah, fist fights basically. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a weird they're they're both weird games and they both have their very, very strong points. NBA Jam was probably much better done in the grand scheme of things, but Yeah. And in yeah. fairness, I have not played Bill Ambeer's Combat Basketball. I've only gotten a couple of podcasts listening to to actually gauge any sort of opinion on it. Yeah, I actually put the put my favor towards NBA Hang Time, which I think came out like one or two years after that, simply because it it had a create a player feature where oh, okay. where the nice. more you win, then the more points you get to put into your three-point shooting, slam dunk, speed, all these things. So there is a, you know, there's almost an RPG effect of leveling up your character the more you won. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. So if you enjoyed that, I'm going to go on a slight tangent here. Have you ever heard of the freestyle basketball games? Freestyle basketball games. There are two. The first one is shut down now. It doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. Yeah. Freestyle 2 is a free-to-play game on Steam. It is a basketball MMO. Really? It is it's 3v3 half court basketball like playground style basketball and as you level up you can unlock, you know, special dunk moves, special three point shots, but you play you, you have a forward, a center and a guard or you're like three classes basically. And yeah. the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It is fucking awesome. Like it, the game is so much fun. It's it's kind of a little cartoony and like yeah. It's it doesn't sound like something that would be as fun as it is, but it I mean is. this 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 guy's wearing a rice paddy hat for one thing. That is so. impractical. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, it's it is so hilariously awesome with the costuming, but it, I it, I've I've only played a little bit of Freestyle 2, but I played the shit out of the original Freestyle game because it was just a lot of fun. It reminds me a bit of the NBA Street series that I'm looking yes. at right now, it which was I've, NBA Street um had to have just kind of ro- risen out of the ashes of the NBA Jam. It's it's yeah. It's, well, there was there was a series of street games. There was FIFA Street and NFL Street. Like right, they, they it was a thing that EA did for a little while. But yes, it is very very akin to Basketball Street, except there is a level system and a lot of customization options. And it's like I said, it's 
you you might be interested in checking it out. It is free to play, so it's not going to cost you anything to mess around with it. Yeah. It's a lot of it, it, awesome. it looks like a lot of fun if a bit over the top and silly. So I'm going to give it a shot. The yeah. original game did not support controllers. It was all keyboard, so that oh, was, Jesus. was oh, God. terrible. But yeah. this one, I do believe, has controller support, so I I can actually recommend this one to people other than just a niche. Like, this game is actually really fun. You should totally play it. It says partial controller support, so we'll give it that much at least. Yeah, I don't know what that means. So It generally <laughs> means that it has full controller support, but people just kind of say partial because they don't support all controllers. Seems legit. I'll give you one that... It'd be it'd be fun if you guys played it. The Bass Master Classic and Black Bass games for the Super Nintendo. I didn't give a shit about fishing growing up, but I loved those games. Those were for whatever reason they they scratched an itch that I didn't know I had. It's like it's like finding some sort of weird fetish porn for the first time. You're like, I had no idea I was into this. This is great. <laughs> is it like Ian's P story? <laughs> exactly. It's essentially that. It's 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 watching something for the first First time going, oh, this is this is kind of awakening something inside me. This is weird. I like pee. <laughs> but for those that are not familiar with them, it's it's tournament bass fishing, which I hear is a thing kind of down in the south, but you don't really get it up here in the Pacific Northwest that much. So the game is in you you get on a lake and you have a weekend to catch as many bass as you can. And the top five bass that you catch, you combine their weight together, yep. and you, you you weigh in at the end, and whoever's like the top three combined weights goes on to the next lake, um, which has different fish, which has different lures that you need to catch them. And they're for whatever reason, I just I found them really compelling and fun to play. So you, you know, I, I was gonna say something derogatory about it, but. <laughs> I, I played Blue Marlin on the NES, and I just loved it, so I really can't say much about that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't say anything negative about it because I love Blue Marlin so much. Yeah, and it's funny that I bring these two up before like standards like the Street Fighter series or the Donkey Kong series, which yeah. obviously far, far more instrumental in, in making the SNES the, the successful system that it was. But no, well, Let's those. be honest here. Those, those are givens on the system. Yeah, you, know, you you throw them out there, and people are like, of course you're gonna like it. You're gonna like Super Street Fighter. Of course you're gonna like Final Fantasy IV. Of course you're gonna like yeah. Super Metroid. Well, they're just they're staples. Yeah, Final Fantasy IV is slightly different because it is actually really underrated. Like people did not actually give Final Fantasy IV a fair shot. I never really? played it growing up. I've only kind of half played it with a friend over a weekend. We we beat it and we switched on and off uh, doing it. But that was probably when I was late 20s is when I first picked up Final Fantasy IV. Sure. But you still enjoyed it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's it's. I think it's the same graphics engine as Final Fantasy VI. Um, they look and play and feel the same. So there, if you like were, Final Fantasy VI, you're going to like Final Fantasy IV. There were slight improvements, but yeah. I'm trying to see if I can find some sales numbers for Final Fantasy IV. Apparently there was a novelization of Final Fantasy IV really? in, in Japan. Oh, and while we were talking about sports games, I mean, you can't leave out Super Punch-Out. For those fast, casual games like NBA Jam, like Super Punch-Out is uh, just an amazing, short, but amazing experience packed into a game. It does. Apparently 1.84 million for the SNES. Okay. Mm-hmm. And now what's Final Fantasy VI? Six is 2.55 million in Japan. I... Don't see much in the U.S., unfortunately. Yeah, the the sales numbers are hard to find now, unfortunately. They are. Oh well, but yeah. Like Final Fantasy II 
it did okay. It did well enough for them to release another game, which they did six. But yeah, it's I really liked the game. It, it's definitely very very different than Final Fantasy VI. It had some really really cool moments that really stick with you, like Palum and Porum. If you have played the game, I'm not going to spoil that. But they oh god, the shit that they do is really fucking cool. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and then there's the the old wizard dude whose name I don't remember, who is also a super oh, badass. That's gonna bug me. Mm, I'm drawing a blank here. Yeah, so am I. Tella. Yes. So those three, all magic users, do some really cool shit. Yeah. It was a a very compelling story-wise game. Uh, I got all the way to the final dungeon and never actually finished it. And in fact, the entire playthrough is up on the channel, except for the, you know, actually finishing the game, because I was going to go back and level up, blah, blah, blah. And I just never got around to it. That's so fuck it. The cool thing that Final Fantasy four had that I, most RPGs don't have is you start the game as a villain. Yeah, it's like, great. You're you're you are are just a total dick and like you're doing the villain Ooh. thing and then you kind of like start going out. Oh, well, shit, maybe I'm not doing the right thing. Maybe yeah, we need to you're, you're blindly following orders. You're basically yeah. the version of a stormtrooper in this game. You blindly follow orders, you go, you blow up a city, and then realize, oh, is this really the right thing to do? Yeah. You go back, you question the king's orders, you get your ass kicked, and then eventually some stuff happens, and you turn into the game's protagonist, and it's one of the most interesting stories that I've had in the SNES, barring Final Fantasy VI or Chrono Trigger, of course. Yeah. So totally recommend picking that game up. And you can find it Absolutely. on all kinds of platforms now, which is really good. Oh my gosh. I cannot imagine these... Let's see, it's been released on Game Everything. Boy Advance, Super Nintendo, Wii... It's on iPhone, come on. Yeah, it's been released on everything. I don't know if there's a Steam version. I wonder if there's a Steam version. There might be. I know there's a Steam version for Final Fantasy Six and seven? Uh, yes, there is, because there's Final Fantasy IV and the After Years were released. So with Final Fantasy IV, by the end of the game, your characters are kind of paired off, and the After Years happens, which is, I think, about uh, 15 years after the events of Final Fantasy IV, where it's kind of a... I, I hesitate to call it a sequel, but you do play the progeny of the characters of Final Fantasy IV. Hmm. I, I have not played the After Years yet. I do own it. I own the it's first... Really good. I own the first six Final Fantasy games and After Years for iOS, and I plan on playing through those. Oh, I highly recommend it. It's really good. I played the After Years for um, the the original Wii, and I really liked it. Nice. So back to sports games. One of the best football games of all time was on the Super NES. Go on. Tecmo Super Bowl. Absolutely. It was a, a fun game. I prefer the... I thought Tecmo Super Bowl was on NES. No. Tecmo Bowl was on NES. There was then, a, yeah, then, Super Bowl was SNES. Super, Super Bowl went with the entire Super, super yeah, the way for the Super NES. The 500 Super Nintendo oh, games that start, have so, Super in it somewhere. So many games for this system had Super in the name somewhere to differentiate them from the NES games. Right. Well, the interesting part is, is that this game was so popular and had so much demand for it after the fact that they made a DS game for it. Actually... Like, Tecmo Super Bowl was on the NES. Oh, did they make? They, and then they, they did made it for the Super NES too. They poured it to each system because it was definitely on the SNES too. But no, I think you're. That does sound right. Yeah, oh. the uh, they they did both. They had a Tecmo Super Bowl for NES and a Tecmo Super Bowl for SNES. I do remember it on NES because that was the game I played for 
fucking days. Yeah, there's a there's definitely an SNES version, and the SNES version was way way too much fun. That was the one with broken ass Bo Jackson, wasn't it? That one was uh, Tech with Super Bowl, yes, for the NES version. Yeah, the the Super NES version was 1993, and Christian Okoye was broken. <laughs> For the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. He he could just break every tackle known to man, basically. Oh, I mean... The Nigerian nightmare. Yeah. But they, they added a whole bunch of stuff for it. But they, yeah, they made a uh, Tecmo, Tecmo Bowl kickoff was the uh, Nintendo DS version that they made in 2008. That was shitloads of fun. Like, I bought that and played the crap out of it. Did you guys it ever... It's really funny because it only used two buttons, like the original game. <laughs> sure. I, I, I think that it was just a legit port, and they updated the rosters. Yeah. Well, they updated the gameplay a little bit. It was a lot smoother. Sure, sure. They didn't pull an EA, just update the rosters and call it a new game. Well, EA, well. we're looking at you, you bastards. <laughs> in fairness, though, they do, they have drastically updated Madden since the last game, and they, they are really, really working on FIFA, and I'm super looking forward to, as we all know, FIFA 2017. All right, all right. Does what do we talk about? Because I, I only have one more. I do. Uh, there's two more on the list, but I have one more that I really want to talk about because I know that Phil and I are looking forward to him as a uh, hot hero, and that is Kyle Blackthorn. Blackthorn. Oh, yeah. The the game Blackthorn that was an old Blizzard game from back in the day was uh, very much similar to, if you're familiar with it, either Out of This World or Flashback, A Quest for Identity. Uh, out of This World, I don't remember what systems it appeared on. Probably the old Amiga systems, but Flashback appeared on both uh, Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis, and it was very similar to Blackthorn in that it was a kind of a platformer with a very weird combat system, uh, action platformer type game. I think the the specific genre is called cinematic platformers. So that um, that's it. You're correct. Yeah, so it's 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 a platformer, but you can't jump 30 feet like Mario. Like you you jump like a normal person's three foot broad jump, and if you fall down, you're dead. You're fucked. You go back to the beginning. It's it's kind of punishing. So you mentioned Out of This World. It originally came out for the Amiga and Atari ST, but got ported to the Super NES and Genesis. Okay. So it existed for the Super NES, but yes, Blackthorn is what we are talking about. It is a strange game. Blackthorn or Out of This World? Yes. <laughs> it is definitely weird. You're like basically a biker that gets well, transported to another world and you have a shotgun. Like that's that's all okay, I Okay, so basically. <laughs> <laughs> so you are Kyle Blackthorn. It is set on the planet Tool, which exists for centuries without human knowledge. Uh, so the entire time the Tool's people have been ruled over by a single shaman who is blessed with all knowledge, quote unquote. Years before the game begins, Thoros, the latest ruler, finds it near impossible to choose between his two sons and the next ruler. Believing it will solve the dilemma, he leads them into the deserts and kills himself which is ridiculous in and of itself. <laughs> so his body becomes two stones, light and dark, and he gives one to each boy to rule their own kingdom separately. The people of the light stone form the kingdom of Androth, and the people of the dark stone formed Kadrasul. But while Androth respects their stone, Kadrasul rejects theirs, and are eventually transformed into monsters by it. In this time, a Kadra named Sarlacc seizes power, he forms an army, and leads them against Androth. Knowing his people's doom, the ruler of Androth, King Vlaros, with the aid of the Androthy magician Galadriel, sends his son Kyle to Earth to save his life. Vlaros also gives Kyle the light stone for safekeeping, so 20 years after this happens, Kyle has become a renowned military captain and mercenary. He is essentially, quote-unquote, a human, breaks out of prison, facing court-martial. Kyle begins having strange dreams. Eventually, he's confronted by Galadriel and is told that it's time to return to Tool to save his people. The game begins with Kyle returning to Tool to save his people. And yes, I know it's T-U-U-L. Sorry, it is not Tool, as in this guy is a Tool. <laughs> 
But yes, he's basically dressed like a biker because he was sent to Earth and it was the 80s and 90s and everything fucking goes because hairbands were all the rage and all kinds of fun. Yep. Yeah. That that game was... Weird, weird. but fun. I didn't get ever very far in it, but it was... uh, Cinematic platformers are strange and difficult. Flashback is one of the most difficult games I've ever played and remains that way to this day. I think it is still available, but this game was actually available for free via Battle.net from Blizzard. They did a updated version of it that basically is emulated via DOSBox for free. But yeah, you can I think you can still get it for free from Blizzard. Uh, or PC. looking at it. Yes, you absolutely can. You can still get Blackthorn and the Lost Vikings and Rock and Roll Racing from uh, Battle.net. Yeah. So, like, all nice. of their crazy old games. Yeah. I don't remember how you get them, but I know you can get them. <laughs> Looks like you just click on the Windows link, and it downloads it for you, because the Blackthorn setup goes when I click the link. Oh. Cool. So you literally just click the link, and you're like, hey, here, have a game. <laughs> oh, Blizzard. You're so silly. The only other game that I want to mention is a game that I played the shit out of. And that is really funny because it never gets kind of the credit it deserves. And most people know one of its future incarnations, but I played the shit out of a game called Tetris Attack. And if you do not know what Tetris Attack is, it was just this weird puzzle game where you basically swap a couple of blocks around and, like, you know, match three, four in a row. It's basically what you would now probably refer to as Candy Crush. But it, <laughs> it was a very, very early version of this. But the one people probably know is Pokemon Puzzle was the first big game that blew up from this franchise. So apparently the original version, like it's called Puzzle Attack or something like that, is the Japanese name of it, or like the Japanese name of the franchise. But there are several Puzzle Attack games, and then they made a Pokemon-themed version of it. And I think the Pokemon-themed version of it was for the Nintendo 64, but people like really, really fucking loved Pokemon Puzzle, and it blew up. But I'm like, this is Tetris Attack. I played this like five years ago. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it was one of those really cool games where it had a like kind of open... Tetris mode where it would just drop random blocks on top of it but then it also had this weird thing where it had a puzzle mode where like you would just have a random picture of blocks like you know they weren't random but they were like like a predetermined set of things where there'd just be a certain number of blocks on the screen and then all of a sudden like you would have okay you have five moves to clear the board and so you had to make five moves to eliminate every block. And then the mm-hmm. next next level, it would pop up a whole bunch and it'd be like, okay, you have three moves to clear the board. And you're just like, you really had to think about how things dropped and what happened. And it was a really just cool experience. Hmm. And one of the really interesting things about the game was that the same cartridge was used, like the same actual base game was used in every region it was released in because the version that I had had a options menu setting like when you first started up the game of whether you wanted the game in English, Japanese, German, Russian, and like, I don't remember, the Spanish might have been the other language. But like, yeah, like so you had like five languages to pick from from the beginning and then it would just stay in that language after you picked it. So it was kind of funny. Like they didn't have huh. to port. They didn't have to port the game at all because it automatically was in all of the languages it needed to be. Because there was basically no dialogue in the game at all. It was just the like score and moves remaining. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. Well, I've got a bunch of games, and that's kind of the reason why you know I wanted to be on the show for Super Nintendo is because I feel like the system has so many more like top quality games compared to some of the other systems. I think the Nintendo had some good ones at the top, but had so much shit. I didn't play enough Genesis to form an opinion. From my experiences listening to Tyler and Dave talk about the N64, it sounds like that thing didn't age very well and didn't have a whole lot of top-tier games. It had some, but not a big list. So, that all leading in, I'm just going to start reading off names of games. I have a list set up here um, that I've found that has a lot of things that we haven't talked about left. So, like, Earthworm Jim, that whole series, the the sure. Secret, excuse me, not Secret, the Breath of Fire series. Absolutely. Uh, Earthbound, SimCity, Populous Civilization. SimCity specifically, for me, that was a game I sunk a lot of time into. I played that on PC, so I can't really count it. Mm-hmm. What else do we got on here? Super Castlevania, another great one. Absolutely. Um, the Jungle Strike and Desert Strike games, I really, really enjoyed those. Star Fox, obviously a huge one there. Any of the racing games like F-Zero or, or Mario Kart, Rock and Roll Racing, another another good old Blizzard game there. Also um, for you, Battle.net. But it's just, there's so many of these games, and I could keep naming them, and I'll still miss ones that were really good. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that, like, with the with the nostalgia goggles on that really made the SNES stand out is it had so many, like, really high-quality games. I really enjoyed some of the stuff that the Genesis had to offer, but there were so many more really good games for the Super NES is what it felt like. And that's kind of a shame, but it's the way things work. They just they nailed the right licenses, and a lot of it was Squaresoft. I mean, we've named at least 10 Squaresoft games in this yeah. so far. Which is kind yeah. of nuts. Yeah, and it was all back to back to back. It's like you, yeah. they'd come out with Secret of Mana and then Final Fantasy II. I'm, I'm not gonna get the order right, but yeah. those ones and Final Fantasy III and like Chrono Trigger and Secret Evermore, like they just came out like then, every six to twelve months, a new one of those would come out, and it's like instant yeah. classic, instant classic, just bam, bam, bam. Like we mentioned last time, Super Mario RPG. Yeah, missed that one. <laughs> Didn't even bring I, that one up. I fucking yeah. hated that one. Oh, I loved it to bits. I'm just huge fan of that one. Yeah, like this was the this was the system that made SquareSoft the household name it now is. Sure. It just sure. it's like if the Super NES didn't exist, SquareSoft would no longer be making games, I don't think. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the only reason that they were making games to begin with was because of Nintendo consoles and that was uh, Final Fantasy. Uh-huh. There's a reason it's called Final Fantasy. I'm sure everyone's heard this story by now, but it was their last-ditch effort to make a game that would save their company, and it did. That's why there's 30 of them now. Yes, <laughs> basically. So we, we've talked about a lot of good games. So do we want to talk about the best-selling games, like the stuff numbers that we could find? We kind of have to, yeah. even though we're pushing two hours. Yeah. Yes. I did not look up any best-selling information, but I can, I, I'm assuming it's going to be Super Mario World because it came packaged with it. Correct. And I'm, I'm assuming Donkey Kong Country is going to yep. be so yeah. somewhere up yeah. there. So, so the top three are Super Mario World with 20 million units, Donkey Kong Country with 9 million units, and Super Mario Kart with 8 million units. All of those were packaged with the system yes. Yeah. at various times. Yep. Paul thinks that's bullshit. I kind of <laughs> also... Not a- Agree that that's kind of bullshit because yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a cop out. I mean, you get the system with it, you get the game with it. It's kind so, of bullshit. So standalone games that were not packaged with the system, 
it kind of gets a little more interesting. Street Fighter 2 is the top-selling game that was not packaged with the system, and that sold 6.3 million units. Now, I will tell you, I did get that one packaged with my unit, my Super Nintendo, in 1992. I, I did some history research on this to make sure I got the, the year and everything right. But they did a smaller packaged version. When it first came out, I think it was like $200, two controllers, and Mario World. The next tier down one, you didn't get Mario World, but I got Street Fighter 2 and Super Nintendo for $129 with one controller. And that was like my 10-year-old, like, fantastic Christmas gift that I got, like burned nice. into your memory kind of, kind of thing there. Nice. So then following that is Donkey Kong Country 2 with 5 million because the yeah. first one came with the system, second one didn't. Zelda Link to the Past with 4.6 million and then basically a three-way tie between Street Fighter 2 Turbo, Star Fox, and Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island at 4 million a pop. Dang. That's kinda... I wonder what those other classics would be like if they didn't come with the system, like how many... Because you're not going to buy well, Donkey Kong Country if you already have Donkey Kong Country, so that's yeah, going to skew true. the results. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, those those results do count the ones that were sold with systems. Yeah, sure. Okay. Because I I don't think you could buy Super Mario World without a system. You I absolutely don't could. Being able to. You absolutely could. Yeah. They did have an inbox Super Mario World, but it just it didn't sell nearly as well as the <laughs> system box because yeah. obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think I bought it with mine, even though I didn't have it, because everyone else had it. Like, I had played sure. Super Mario World. I did not need to spend, you, you know, it. 40 to 60 bucks to get a copy of a game that I've beaten on three other friends' systems. Yeah. So. It seems silly to do so. So, now let's talk about games that were just disappointing. Oh, God. Like, something you really wanted to be good, but that just wasn't. For Lord whatever of the Rings, Volume 1. Yeah... <laughs> Lord of the Rings fans, and, and Paul, you know that you, I've mentioned this to you several times, but yeah, that's uh, that's one that like it's it's hit me right when I was in like the midst of Tolkien mania of of discovering all all of his works and getting reading into it. Yeah, just a disappointing game. There it is. <laughs> yeah, I am holding a copy of the cartridge of Lord of the Rings Volume One, and Volume One implies that they're going to make more games, but it uh -huh. sold so poorly and was such a poorly programmed game that they just didn't bother. And the worst part is that is one of my favorite companies. Interplay, Interplay. made this game. Yes, Interplay made this game. And if you're not familiar, they also made the Fallout franchise, or at least published the Fallout franchise. God, that, this game pissed me off. I wanted to like it, and I just I kept trying to play it, and I just it failed on every level. Yeah. Trying to think if there's... Okay, so for disappointing ones, and this kind of ties back to something that Dan was talking about, Beavis and Butthead. Um, really? I loved that game. I loved it for... You had it for the Genesis, or you played it for the Genesis. It is a completely different game for the Super Nintendo. Just black and white. Such an awful side-scroller action game, whereas the Genesis was like you go back and forth between levels, there's a kind of a, an action adventure, there's an economy, you're actually getting money to go spend at shops and getting items and stuff. In the Super Nintendo, it was just start on the left side, scroll to the right, you beat a boss at the end, you go to the next level. I got it because um, I had played it on the Genesis and really enjoyed it, it on the Genesis, be, yeah. and so I'll, I'll get it for the Super Nintendo and not the same game. So That's a shame. Yep. All right. Mine's kind of a toss-up. I can't decide what was the most disappointing. I can actually probably narrow it down to three. Okay. So I see about like a half dozen here. <laughs> no, there's actually four. But yeah, the last one I think I can remove from the list. 
what the one that I, I'm going to remove from the list is Spider-Man and Venom: Maximum Carnage, which is a beat 'em up game based on the Max, game. Maximum Carnage. It just it wasn't as good as I felt it should have been. That's fair. That's fair. But it's not as bad as these other ones, so I will absolutely. I will. It was okay. Although it's just not as good as I wanted it to be. I don't agree with your second one. Okay, so since Paul doesn't agree, this one is the SNES version of Doom. It was the best console port you could get. But it wasn't good. It was good. I liked like, it. Like it it showed that the Doom first person shooter didn't really work with the console controller yet. Thought it was okay. It was not as good as it was with a keyboard. I don't know. Like I don't I, I don't mean, know. Well that's gonna be obvious. It's never gonna be as good as it was with the keyboard, but they did the best they could with it. Just, it could have been better. I agree. I just but was not thrilled with it. It was like, okay, cool. That's fair. Like, and totally it's fair. like, this is not fun. Right. I don't know why, but it's not. All right. The other one that was kind of the same thing was American Gladiators. God. Like, back in the day, if you were not familiar, American Gladiators was like the most awesome television show like in the history of ever. It was like this crazy yeah. Yeah. obstacle course contest sporting event just ridiculousness thing and they tried to make it into a video game <laughs> and it was just so sad and, and it was just it was crap like there's so much potential for this video game that could have been really awesome and it was just a giant collection of terribleness could you imagine what they could make today if american gladiators had premiered today yeah oh yeah if you, if you could oh, if they dropped like a decent budget on a game today you could make like a pretty awesome american gladiator style game i would love it yeah, it could be kind of fun. Sad they don't have that. <laughs> and then my last disappointing game is Final Fantasy Mystic Quest because it was so ridiculously dumbed down. It, it yeah. was just terrible. I, yeah. I couldn't beat it because it felt so stupid that I couldn't bother myself to beat it. I have watched one of my friends beat it in one sitting. How long was it? I want to say he played for probably five or six hours, maybe. Like, right. I mean, it, it did not take him very long to just destroy the game. Like, because he was just like, fuck it, I've never beat this game. Let's beat it. And I was like, okay. Sure. Why not? I'll, I'll sit here and watch. I got nothing else to do. <laughs> so, I don't know. Those are the ones that were, that I can't really pick which one was most disappointing because they were all kind of disappointing. Probably the most disappointing of those was American Gladiators because I just, based on how awesome that TV show was and just like, if it was ever on TV, you would watch it. I, I really wanted that to be a good game and it was just so not a good game. Yeah. Okay. Where where ActRaiser 1 was so amazing, this really great blend. You are going to say that, weren't you, Phil? This, this, yep. this fantastic blend between... Head. Yep, there's this great blend between city building and action platformer. ActRaiser 2 was total fucking garbage. I can't remember ActRaiser 2 because I played so little of it when... It was just bad. Because didn't they get rid of the entire like city building aspect altogether? It was just like a straight platforming action game. From what I remember, yeah. Like I, <laughs> it is that unmemorable and that bad a game that I just it, it didn't even leave an impression on me. I just remember like eh, this is pretty bad, and I just turned it off. And I mean, graphically, I think it looks a little bit better, or at least is on par. But I remember the gameplay 
Whereas, like, the platforming and gameplay from Activator 1, it was fast and it was smooth. And in the second one, you're like, for whatever reason, you're like this lumbering lineman of an angel with a sword and shield. And you're so slow. And it's not a fun experience just kind of like Hulk walking your way across the platform. Whereas the first one, you're like in this dead sprint and you're running and jumping and slashing and fighting. And it's it's just a lot smoother and more fun of a, a platforming experience. Yeah, so... On the box for ActRaiser 2, there's a big thing that says 100% pure action and excitement. From what I could tell, the the overworld section was solely dedicated to just stage select. It yeah. wasn't any at all city building. It was just it had the same map. It, we were just stage selecting to go to the next action platform area, and it just didn't have that same charm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm pulling up images of it right now. There's no city building images at all. It, there's none. The game itself looks good. Like, I'm looking yeah, at this, and like, fantastic. it's colorful, it's well-drawn, it, it looks well-animated, but, like, just, yeah, it was not, it's such a departure from the first game and gets rid of such a crucial aspect of, of, of that, that made the first one so much fun. So. It lacks heart. It, yeah. Like, there's, there's nothing about it that seems appealing. It's just, like, we just took everything that you liked about the original and made it worse. We, sh- we shined up one specific part of it. Yeah, the part that people didn't give a shit about. I like the city building aspect of it. That was so unique to that game that uh, unless you're playing SimCity or Sim Ant, you didn't have anything like that. Yeah. yeah. The, the, the action platforming portions, I mean, they did offer something to the game, but other than just you kind of filler, it felt like to me it, it didn't add as much as the city building aspects. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. Disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. So as quickly as possible, since we're <laughs> we've been, we've been at air. this for a while. Yeah. We, we we are damn close, if not further than our longest episode ever. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Much like the Sega Genesis, the SNES was not without its crazy ass gimmicks. Some of them More were than. really some of them were good, some of them were really bad. Some of them are now infamous. Probably the best of their gimmicks was the Super Game Boy which was a cartridge that you plugged into the top of your Super NES, and then you plugged a Game Boy cartridge into that one, and then you could play Game Boy games on your TV. Okay, fun fact about that. The only reason the Super Game Boy worked, because the SNES was not powerful enough to run Game Boy games. Mm -hmm. It actually had basically the entire Game Boy inside of that cartridge. Yep. Really? Yep. I had no idea. So, So this actually ties into another thing with the system gimmicks, is from its initial get-go... The Super NES was designed for these things that were called enhancement chips, and inside the game cartridges there would be a like coprocessor that the system would tap into to run the games. The most famous of the ones that really, really took advantage of it was the Star Super Fox. FX microchip. Yeah, the, with the Super FX, like that was the first game that used the Super FX. But yeah, so with the the Super Game Boy, the micro processor in the Super Game Boy cartridge did all the heavy lifting for the the Game Boy emulation. Hmm. Yeah, it was a literal Game Boy put packed into a Super Nintendo cartridge and that allowed you to play Game Boy games. And and amusingly, that's what made the uh, original PlayStation 2 backwards compatible with the PlayStation 1 is that the f- original first-generation PlayStation 2s literally had a PlayStation 1 inside of them to emulate the PlayStation 1. <laughs> and the original PlayStation 3s had a literal PlayStation 2 buried inside them to play yeah. PlayStation 2 games. Yeah, so f- with funny little throwback stuff that they did. The the funny part about the Super Game Boy is that it would colorize old Game Boy games. Like you yep. could you could palette swap to 
just really shitty color palettes. They were they were all terrible, pretty much. And then you could set a custom border around the screen because the Game Boy screen is generally a different size than your television screen. And some games would have their own custom screens. Like after the Super Game Boy was released, the game carts would have their own little custom screen <laughs> border. So it was just kind of a little cool thing they built into it. But the Super Game Boy was probably their best thought out and best designed weird Absolutely. gimmick thing. Absolutely. One of the most useless ones was the Super Scope. They doubled down on the Duck Hunt gun from the original NES, and they made a shoulder-mounted, like, bazooka gun. I don't even... There were, like, five games for it. It was it was next to useless. They I looked it up. There, there were 12 total. <laughs> Which... I just joked about the fact that there were only, like, five, because I only remember, yeah. like, four or five, like, other than Super Scope 6, which came with the game. So six right. of the games came with the controller when you bought it. Yeah, and I, I couldn't find, I didn't really look up the price of it, but I imagine it was not a cheap peripheral. Oh, I, no. I want to say it was $100. That sounds that sounds like a, about right. And so if you if you paid 100 bucks for literally half the cost of the system for this peripheral and only 12 games come out with it and then Nintendo's just like, eh, yeah. fuck it. Gotta be pretty pissed. Though, even worse, even worse than the Super Scope was the Super Nintendo Mouse. <laughs> which, I hear of these things that they exist. Which, to my knowledge, the Super Nintendo Mouse only ever worked for one game and that was Mario Paint. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Which I'm pretty sure it was bundled with. It would have been great for SimCity. Yeah, it would have been great for some of these Sim games, but I'm pretty sure the only game that ever supported it was the Mario Paint game, which it was made for. Because they had computer ports. Like, they had SimAnt and Populous and Civ, SimCity. Yeah. Like, it's... uh, Yeah. That's unfortunate. That makes me sad. (laughs) then, Then one of their best ideas that basically never got used, other than a few really great examples, was the multi-tap, the thing that turned your second player port into second, third, and fourth player ports. A great idea. It basically was originally introduced to support Bomberman games, which is kind of funny, and then was used in some other games, like Secret of Mana, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I imagine like Super Off-Road might have been able to do that one as well. Probably. That's a game that I have, but I've never... I don't think I've played a two-player, let alone three-player and four-player. <laughs> it's a then lonely game for me. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then there's some really funny, weird controllers, because kind of every console generation has their weird one-off controller things. But there were some really, really funny ones that were officially licensed by Nintendo, which makes them kind of hilarious. There was a baseball bat that was supported by a whopping nine games. Nine baseball, baseball games, games obviously. Yeah, but you would great if they had a fighting game or something. You, you would <laughs> you would swing the bat to hit it, which was kind of funny. There was a golf club called the TV Golf Club, T E E V. Oh, um, see that's interesting because like they it, actually had good baseball games for the Super Nintendo. I don't remember any good golf games for it yeah. though. So, I don't so, either. So the way this worked apparently is it had a floor sensor that had like a light reader in it. And then the golf club attachment had a real golf club handle on it and a real golf club shaft. And then this thing on the bottom of it that would shine a light. And then as you swung over top of the thing, it would register the slice and the hit and the whatever and attempt to convert that into an actual thing. And right. what made me really laugh about it, since I was watching videos of these peripherals earlier because they're kind of funny, is it actually had a wrist leash to keep it from flying off of your hand and going through your television. Oh, man. 
unlike the original Wiimotes, as Paul is holding up a Wiimote. <laughs> yeah, well, it has a wrist leech on it. Yes, but they originally one of the original ones. They did not, not have that. But you could get them for free if you bought them, yep. which was really funny. But yeah, so it was just really funny that this this officially licensed Nintendo controller had a wrist strap back for the Super NES, and like yeah. Nintendo didn't include them with the Wii, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. So then the the I only have two more that I want to talk about because they're ridiculously extravagant and it makes them really hilarious. So one of them is you guys go to the gym occasionally. Are you familiar with the company Life Fitness? Yes. They, no. they they make treadmills they and make exercise stuff, bikes yeah. and all kinds of like rowing machines and all of this stuff. They at one point in time made a thing called the Exertainment, which was an officially licensed Super <laughs> NES controller built into an exercise bike. Wow. And it, so it had the the like the D-pad split to the two handlebars. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you could play Super NES games while riding a bike. That which was awesome. Pretty- <laughs> it, it does, but at the same time, it sounds horrible. <laughs> well, I imagine like they, they didn't have wireless technology then, so it's going to be attached. Like you got the cord well, going from your exercise bike down to that. Well, they they did kind of have wireless technology back, but then it was all infrared. The, yeah, they had the, uh, the the power glove was wireless technology, for example. Oh, yeah. yeah. They actually had wireless controllers for the original NES. Yep. What? Yeah, you, they sure you, did. They you sure were, did. And they were official Nintendo controllers too. So yep. you would plug them in, and it would just have a little IR sensor that sat in front of your NES, and you would sit on your couch, and the front of the controller had an IR transmitter, and oh, you would man. you would play, and as long as it had light of sight, you were fine. But if someone stepped in front of you, it would cut off your controller. <laughs> it just blew my mind and made me look like an ignorant ass all at once. That's well, awesome. I didn't I didn't know they had these things yeah, way back in Nintendo. So that's what's really funny when I see these you know, memes on on things that are like, I didn't even have wireless controllers when I was growing up. I, that's because you, know, you were I, poor. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, no, they had them. They, most of them were pretty horrible, but they did exist. Yeah, but they, they exist. exist. I mean, well, like, I didn't wait, have this man. when I was 15. Well, that's because you were poor. Shut up. <laughs> so the last funny controller I want to talk about is something none of us have ever used, and oh, probably none of our audience has ever used, but that's because this is hilarious. Uh, so there was a weird, very, very unique controller that is called the Max M16, M-A-C-S M16, which stands for the Multipurpose Arcade Combat Simulator developed by the United States Army. And it is literally what you think of. It is a light gun attachment on an M16. And it was, they had a custom game built for them that was the basic rifle marksmanship training (laughs) soldiers went through in basic training, and it was a training simulator. So they would sit down, and they would have this this M16 with a giant light gun thing on the front of it, and they would aim at a screen and and do target practice on a screen. And it was used for, I I don't even want to know how many years, in the early 90s, probably on a very select number of bases as a test thing. Apparently, there's possibly less than 600 of these were ever made. They're not sure of the exact numbers because people basically aren't talking about it, but yeah, like just the... the <laughs> Can you I, play them? The idea that the U.S. Army developed a, a controller to and a custom training game for the Super Nintendo for basic training soldiers is kind of absolutely hilarious. There is a PDF from the DTIC.mil that yep. goes into detail about the MACS. That's fantastic. Yeah. It, it it exists. It's a thing. And it's oh. kind of 
fucking hilarious. And it's really funny to see pictures of people using it because it's just like this dude with an M16 at a table and and this tiny like 12-inch screen television at the other end of like a picnic <laughs> table and he's like doing target practice on it. The the original the original document on the MACS was written in November of 1989. It's old. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. With the Sega Genesis, we talked a little bit about X-Band, uh, yep. which was a multiplayer online service that originally started on the Genesis and then was eventually brought to the Super Nintendo thanks to Blockbuster. Good old Blockbuster video. Did a lot of good things and then failed miserably at everything else. So the last thing that we're going to talk about is the Super NES CD and its failed venture. Okay, so if you're not familiar with it, you can thank Nintendo for actually bringing Sony into the gaming marketplace. Because if you're not familiar, way back in the day when Super Nintendo and Sega were going really, really strong and head-to-head beating each other, Super Nintendo, specifically Nintendo, wanted to bring a CD peripheral to the Super Nintendo, which, if you look at the bottom of your Super Nintendo, if you have one, at the bottom is an expansion port. And the entire time that Super Nintendo's life cycle, it was intended to be expanded upon, specifically with attachments. I mean, you had the Super Game Boy. If you wanted to expand, they they had the expansion module underneath with... Go ahead. In Japan, they actually had a modem... Yes. module that you could uh, it was basically like just a giant base for it and you would put the you would slot the super family right, right, in right. and connect it to a phone line and you could play games online with it but they none of the that stuff ever came to the US cuz it was way too niche in Japan and they it never yeah. sold well enough for them to bring it over they didn't even think about it so the original agreement was to have Sony create a CD add-on peripheral and eventually the contract negotiations fell through and Sony PlayStation is what we have after those negotiations fell through. Nintendo decided, hey, we need to do this. So we're going to turn to Philips, the company that makes DVD players. Yeah, I think this was after... Like they were, they started working with Sony because they heard Sega was working on something. Right, they, both right. of these companies were trying to stem off the 32-bit revolution. Yes, because they were kings of the 16-bit revolution. So they they wanted to make sure that 32-bit couldn't overtake them before they were ready to jump to 32-bit. Which was um, the 32x, which is what the, what Sony was working on, or yeah. I'm sorry, Sega was working on, and, and they, the Sega CD. Rumors. Yes. And so they they heard Sega's working on this, so they they had to do this, and then. So they, after I think after things with Sony failed, the Sega CD came out, and then yep. so Nintendo was like, "Holy shit, we need something!" So yes, then they, they turned to Philips. And who, when yeah, and negotiations fell through the Philips because Philips was like, uh, "No, yeah, that was the literal thing." Was yeah. just uh, no, basically so they, no. I don't think anyone knows or at least is allowed to say why these things didn't work out. Well, yeah, they're they're probably just they're. People There's probably like to say why, really. I don't think they're allowed to talk about it. Like, it, There's much. probably so many NDAs involved. Yeah. Just, mm-hmm. So, so we'll never anyway. know why they didn't work out. But we know they didn't work out, and we know what happened after they didn't work out. Oh, God. With Philips, they somehow signed agreements to retain the licenses to Legend of Zelda and Mario. Mm-hmm. And so we have the trilogy of shit, Link the Face of Evil, Zelda the Wand of Gamelon, and Zelda's Adventure. If you haven't played them... I highly recommend watching the Angry Video Game Nerds rendition of all three of those games, as well as what was supposed to be a sequel to Super Mario World, which ended up being Hotel Mario, and it yeah. was just a flat. puzzle game. It was just awful. It was yeah, like it was somebody just this really weird puzzle game. 
they decided to use the Mario license as toilet paper and flush it down the toilet, and yeah. somehow Hotel Mario came out, and yeah. it just was bad. Yeah. So, so Philips took all of this stuff that they developed while working with Nintendo and made their only console, the Philips CDI, which was, was awful. this weird-ass thing, and... I don't know anyone who ever owned one. The only time I ever touched one was when they had them on display, like as a demo unit at Radio Shack. <laughs> like whenever you would go to like Radio Shack in the mall when they still existed in malls back in the day, they would have like one hooked up to a crazy TV in the back and you could play like Golden Tee Golf because that was like the only game they ever had on them. Or just flat existed. Radio Shack is dead now. Yeah, Radio Shack does not exist anymore, unfortunately. Oh, well, no, they do. They still exist. So. Really? I mean, the franchises maybe, but the Radio Shack company does not exist anymore. Yeah, they they still have locations occasionally. I'm pretty sure it's just. No, I think you're thinking. I think you're thinking Circuit City. Uh, Maybe Radio Shack still exists. That surprises me. They're really hard to find. They still exist. It's one of the only places you can actually go to to buy electrical components. That genuinely surprises me. They they still exist. All right, all right, all right. They mostly sell cell phones now, which is really funny. Wah, wah. That is weird. But yeah, so despite the atrocity that was Hotel Mario, the three Zelda games were actually interesting, even though they were really terrible. The first two were released at the same same time, so there was yeah, they were, they were brother and sister games. Yeah, Link Faces of Evil. It was like hand drawn, cartoony style look, a lot like what's that game? Dragon, Dragon Slayer. Dragon Slayer. Yeah. Yeah. They featured Except not your Don Bluth quality. Yeah, so they featured animated cutscenes, which was a first for the series, and they were fully voice acted. Terrible animated cutscenes <laughs> and, and terrible fully voice acted. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the playstyle to both of these games was very similar to Zelda Two, like for the original NES, and basically they were kind of actiony platformery things. The interesting part about Zelda: The Wand of Gamelon, you didn't play as Link. Yeah. You played as Zelda. And that is like, one of two games where you played as Zelda. The other one was Zelda's Adventure. <laughs> also a Philips CDI game, and both were fucking yeah. ass and, awful. And it was a top-down Zelda game. Zelda's this Adventure one, was. Yeah, Zelda's Adventure. And it was interesting because Ganon kidnaps Link, and you as Zelda have to go save him. And it, it was, instead of being hand-drawn animation, it was kind of motion capture. It was, it was, yeah. it was a live-action type motion capture game, and yeah. it was just, it felt clunky and awful and... And it had full no. motion, it had full motion video cutscenes that were all live-action and apparently really, really bad. So, so that's the thing, though, is, is it kind of, it had, like, partial full motion video because you had this weird kind of stutter effect in some of them that just kind of, it went... Apparently that was just because the frame rates of the game was just so bad that it just sucked and was horrible. That doesn't surprise me at all. Like, not at all. Because they were... They were ass awful programmed and ass awful games, and if you play... If you see them, burn them. None of of these games were actually made by Nintendo. They were all all third-party games and were just not up to par. Well, because when negotiations fell through with Philips and Nintendo, Philips somehow maintained the rights to make... Because they they had signed agreements with with Nintendo to make three Zelda games and one sequel to Super Mario World. And they ended up retaining the rights to make those games, but not retaining the rights to make actual, you know, 
real games for the Zelda franchise or the Mario franchise. So what we got was Hotel Mario, Link the Face of Evil, Zelda 1 of Gamelon, and Zelda's Adventure, and they just were very sad because the original idea was to have Nintendo make those games with in partnership with Philips. Yeah, and so they did and, and they just <laughs> and then once yeah, they really didn't. And once the those negotiations fell through, Philips retained the rights and decided to make the games anyway to try and cash in on the licenses. And Nintendo was just like, Wow, these are bad and we're just gonna mock you for the rest of our days. I feel like you guys are spoiling your future nostalgia episode on the Philips CDI. There's not going to be that. <laughs> ever. You've used like 90% of the content that you would you'd be talking well, about anyway. Yeah, and that was yeah. what, eight minutes yeah. of the cast? Yeah. You have those four games, you have Golden Tee Golf, and then you have Dragon Slayer. Like the, That is the entire catalog of the Philips CDI, there, I feel there's like. There's like a couple more that have like these really horrible point-and-click adventure games that you rolled your thumb around uh, and moved a cursor. And it was just, they're oh, just bad. Man. All right, I think it's about time to wrap up. <laughs> All right, you can wait just two hours and yeah, a little two hours and some change. I'm fucking tired. So if you want to take a look at us, you can go over to loadcardgaming.com. You can mail me at paul at loadcardgaming.com. You can mail Dan at shop at loadcardgaming.com. You can mail the podcast at podcast@loadcardgaming.com. You can find us at loadcard on Twitter. You can find me at paul Cluel on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at loadcardgaming. You can find us in other places, especially yes. over on our Reddit thread slash r. Slash Loaded Cart Gaming. Yes. And Dan just completely took the window out of my sales. Yeah, you were on a roll there. <laughs> okay, it's my, so... It's job. Yeah, whatever. Alright, you know what? Just hear some smooth jazz play out. Drink baby ass. No, no don't sounds, do that. That sounds horrible. Bagels. Thankfully, this stuff gets edited out.